Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Find us on Facebook as well. We ask you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Go to nationalreview.com as well. Listen, enjoy, share, and please leave reviews so others can find the show. Also, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. More and more people joining every day. Help the show stay ad-free. Support our efforts on the program. We have entry level for offering support and, and voting privileges as well. Mid-level for early access to new shows. You get them at a higher audio quality as well. And then upper level, our bestest friends of all. Exclusive content once a month, like the recent uh, uh, shows on best debut albums, underrated debut albums. Uh, remastered episodes with uh, song clips and Spotify playlists by popular demand as well with our end-of-show choices for your perusal. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm just standing here on the corner of Fountain and Fairfax. And you know what, Scott? I've got a mouth for a brain, and my brain is going to sell this (laughs) podcast to you. Yes, we have lowered our lights. Uh, Incense is burning. Our guest uh, and I are all dressed in black as well for the occasion. Uh, Jeff is on Twitter, at EsotericCD. And our guest for this program is a returner once again, previously on the episode on the police. He's the director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, national correspondent for National Review, and host of the NR podcasts The Great Books and The Bookmonger. You can find him on Twitter, at Hey Miller, he's John J. Miller. John, thanks for coming back. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jeff. John, as we begin, we uh, will allow you to reintroduce yourself. Tell us about what you do at National Review and what you do here at Hillsdale College and why I'm the best employee in the journalism department. (laughs) So Scott and I are colleagues here at Hillsdale College. I run the journalism program, the Dow Journalism Program, and Scott is in charge of our radio station. So uh, I focus on the print side with our campus newspaper here, and Scott focuses on the broadcast side. And uh, we make a good team, and we do a bunch of National Review podcasts from this very place, uh, our separate ones. And this is, I guess, sort of a crossover episode That's for right. us. We're, we're, <laughs> so we're, uh, we're collaborating on this one. And uh, I'm along. Can you believe the last time that we had this crossover episode was a full three years ago? That's how long it was when oh we my. did the police. Well, uh, I wasn't even living in this place when we did the police. <laughs> well, uh, and, and I'm a longtime writer for National Review. It's been 20-plus uh, uh, years, and... Uh, uh, do a bunch of other things, but uh, Hillsdale and National Review are a couple of the main gigs. And John returns for a discussion about uh, another band that has uh, somewhat flown under the radar a bit, I suppose. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Billboard charts, you're not going to find a whole lot of entries from the Afghan Whigs. But uh, a, a tremendous band, and we'll also we'll talk about Twilight Singers, which is uh, Greg Dooley, uh, not even a side project. It was his band in between Afghan Wig stints. But uh, th- this is a this is a band that has many layers, hailing out of Ohio. Before we get more into the bio, we turn things back over to John. Explain why you love the Afghan Wigs, how you got into them, and why anyone should care about this music. My story with the Afghan Whigs begins in 1992. I was in college. I was a senior. It was my last semester 
of college. And I was involved with a student newspaper at the University of Michigan called the Michigan Review, which was like, you know, minor league national review, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, I was I was an editor at at, Mich- at the Michigan Review, and we wrote about politics and culture and campus events and 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 this and that. We also had a great music section, and it was it was music reviews, concert reviews, just a lively place for frankly, non-political discussion about music, just, you know, it wound up being like bands we liked, bands we didn't like, all that kind of thing. We had, we had a great editor who ran the section, and he set it up so that the record labels would send us their stuff, like every day. It's like Christmas. We get, we get, we get you know, CDs, tapes, you know, every day in the mail. We could get concert tickets to, to you know, anything in the Detroit area we wanted to. Because it was back in the day when, like, you know, the college music scene was a big deal. And, and they thought, you know, college students created REM and stuff like that. And, and, and they wanted the college press to write about bands. And so we got we got all this stuff, which was great. And, and, and I, I, I made full use of, 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 these, of these opportunities. And uh, 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 one day... Uh, I think I got the mail or something, and and there were a couple of different cassettes, and um, here was one from the band I'd never heard of before, Afghan Wigs. Loved the name, no idea what it meant. Just loved the name. the The cover art was kind of interesting, and just took it home with me and started playing it. I also noticed it was a sub pop production, mm-hmm. and sub pop, of course, was was the great Seattle label that was behind Nirvana and all the grunge stuff. And I was way into that kind of music then. And uh, so, so Sub Pop also caught my eye. So here's a new Sub Pop band. And uh, took it home and just played it, loved it immediately. And just played it over and over again. Wore out that cassette tape and just found what has become one of my very favorite groups. Have followed them closely ever since. That album, by the way, is called Congregation. It was new in 1992. It was not their first album. We'll get to it in a few minutes, I suppose. But um, just just loved it, and it was it was a new kind of sound. Um, it, it you know grunge is kind of hard to define. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of punk metal fusion, whatever you want to do. It's kind of hard. It was, it was almost more a fashion aesthetic than it was a, a, a style of music. But this was different from that. It was rock, it was psychedelic, it was some Motown, and I, I wouldn't have thought about it in those categories then. I, I, I think about it that way, kind of in hindsight. Um, I loved the lyrics, which were often dark, but, but this combination of the music is sort of menacing, 
you know, dangerous, themes of betrayal, temptation, addiction, but also mixed with vulnerability and guilt and confession and regret. And uh, uh, just love this band. And I've followed them ever since, you know, as closely as anything I've, I've listened to. I've seen them in concert more than any other group with, with probably one exception and, um, and love them. And we saw them together in uh, 2017 in Detroit. We did. We went to St. Andrews Hall and saw what I think was the last time they came through Detroit. Yeah, I don't think they've been back since then. Yeah. Maybe soon with a new album, perhaps. Um, so usually Jeff goes second, but this is, uh, this is one of those opportunities. Jeff's introduced me to a whole lot of great music through this, uh, through this podcast, and uh, this is one of those opportunities that uh, I and John have an opportunity to introduce Jeff to a band. Uh, Afghan Wigs, my, my story is, uh, is eerily similar to John's in that I, I, I may have heard the name, but my first real introduction to Afghan Wigs was at my college radio station in which record labels would send us all the CDs that were going to be released in advance so we had copies and could listen and review and pick which songs to play. And uh, 1965, that album popped in and grabbed it to take a listen, review it for the station, and tell them what tracks to play. And uh, 1965, uh, we'll talk about this, but you know, it, the Afghan Whigs um, certainly have this, these themes, these motifs, but much like, I know a band that uh, we'll talk about through, this, uh, through the podcast, Jeff will probably mention them, but much like Spoon, though they have a Spoon sound and there's an Afghan Whig sort of sound, it really does change from album to album. There's very little repetition uh, between albums sonically, I would say. And 1965 is, 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 is not the same as Black Love, which was the, the album previous. A little brighter, a little more soulful, um, more horns, backing vocals, things like that. And so it was a little more commercial, and it really did stick out to me. I got your phone number, baby. lead single which we played uh 66 which i think we also played on the station was was a little bit of a departure from like the afghan wigs sound but 1965 was absolutely the first time i was turned on to the band i bought a gentleman at a used cd store uh a few months after that loved that one uh had acquired up in it at some point and then you know 1965 was the end of the Afghan Whigs. That was it. It was their first record on Columbia after some time on Electra, and the, that was the last release. And I had sort of forgotten about them for a couple of years until I, I saw linked 
somewhere on the internet, I mean, this was 2003, I suppose, uh, a, a song by the Twilight Singers, which featured Greg Dooley. And I thought, well, that was worth an opportunity uh, to listen to. And it was it was a Teenage Wristband, which, <laughs> as every chance of making my five songs at the end of the show. And that got me interested in this, this new project from Greg Dooley called uh, Twilight Singers. And we'll talk about them later on in the show, but... As much as I love that original Afghan Wigs run, I really adore the music that he produced, most of the music he produced with, with Twilight Singers. And then, most recently, a reunion with uh, one of the Afghan Wigs and a, and a resumption of the Wigs as a band and as an entity. Uh, that continues today. You go back, this band formed in 1986. I mean, we're approaching 30 years of the Afghan Wigs. And as I mentioned, never really a commercial success. They, they've had... Well, I mean, considering the way they write and the way they play, they've had a ton of songs on soundtracks. They've had a, a ton of songs sort of set the mood for certain scenes in movies and TV shows. But commercially, they're not topping the charts. They're not moving a lot of units in uh, in uh, in music speak. They're not selling a ton of albums. But they are an incredibly consistent band, uh, a really great band. And, it, it, you know, as much as, you know, John Curley on bass was important, Rick McCollum on guitar was important, it's Greg Dooley's band. Right, I mean, he wrote a vast majority of the songs, was their creative leader, and certainly was the aesthetic leader as well. I mean, he's the guy you think about when you think about the Afghan wigs. We've got a lot of stuff to get through, but I got to hear, because this is largely Jeff's first introduction to a lot of this music. We cross our fingers and hope he liked it, because if not, it's going to be a long couple of hours. Jeff? Well, let me tell you a story about the first time I heard the Afghan wigs, and I remember it crystal clear. So I, I was—I remember so well. I was sitting cross-legged in my bed in my apartment building in Chicago last week. Oh, what a time! Uh, actually, that's that. You know what? You know what? We have to set the record straight for historical purposes. It wasn't last week; it was actually two weeks ago. <laughs> For me, the Afghan Wigs were a band that was a name. 
I he couldn't grow up in the '90s and be you know at least somewhat into like alternative or at least aware of the scene and not have heard of the Afghan Whigs. But there was just one of those you know indie bands with an, a loopy sounding name, and none of the music was ever played on the radio, as far as I knew. I mean, not that I was even really listening to the radio that much at that time in my life. Uh, and I'd never heard a note of them. They completely flew under the radar for me. So, you know, it's funny because we did Spoon last week. And, of course, we'll be making quite a few comparisons to them because they, they're, they're, they're fascinating. And they, they both sort of took alternate routes to, to sort of converge on, a, on a, a love of a similar sound. And even though they sound very different, even in their, you know, their evolving forms. But I loved Spoon from the first album from Telefono in 1996 like I had just you know sort of serendipitously been gifted a copy of that and so I was into them from the jump but I never heard the wigs and so it's really really funny to come back to them now and to discover them for the first time and to to see what all the hype is about and the hype is entirely deserved there are some flaws I would say like you know I could criticize you know a couple of their albums but the consistency that Scott mentioned is 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 absolutely one hundred percent true, and their their evolution from just the way that Spoon evolved from sort of sounding like you know the Pixies, you know, and having you know very kind of indie alt rock sound to them, into this sort of much more smooth, assured Motown R and B groove. So too did the Afghan Wigs begin with a much more sub-pop style, you know, the sub-pop house style. Just like Motown had a house style, sub-pop also did have a house style. You know, Kurt Cobain famously chafed against it at times, and, and I think Greg Dooley obviously did as well, because as soon as that first album came out, he was already moving away from it into this very unique fusion of both, you know, grunge and alt-rock sounds of the 90s, but also R&B and Motown. And when we say that this band has a lot of sort of soul and R&B uh, sounds to them. We, I want to be clear, they cover the Supremes actually quite a few times, but they don't sound like the Supremes. They don't sound like the Four Tops, even in, they, there are some, some later, later on in their career. You'll, you'll get a couple of tunes that actually do, could have like a, a good R&B soul sound, but this is always, you know, those motifs and, and that, that those stylistics, but overlaid and underpinned with a strong commitment to guitar rock, to art rock, to indie, to grunge, which creates such a fascinating friction in their music. No matter what you do or say. by the time of their second album, their second real album, I suppose, uh, they sounded unique. 
there was there's nothing that sounds like congregation for example it, it is it is a, a a singular record and the stuff that they would then continue doing through the 90s through the first iteration of the band prior to their breakup is just superlative and it's strange that a i'd never heard of them prior to this but also strange b that um that they weren't the only band that sort of found themselves circling back around into like you know paying tribute to that classic sound which as it turns out is about as durable as as granite that there's just you know what there's a reason that those classic you know r&b motown soul sounds the funk that stuff just doesn't age it doesn't die it doesn't grow old and even bands that are from, from far later generations find themselves compelled to come back around to it because it is a timeless sound and it deals with timeless themes and the way Dooley synthesized um, the, that, those sounds with grunge sounds and then with his own weird sort of bizarre, confessional, erotic, pre-epic obsessions, uh, it creates a fusion that, uh, again, is just it's intoxicating to discover it as a 40-year-old, right? I'm an old man now, right? But to find it now, better late than never, because this is some great music. Let's set the table a bit as we begin to dig into the discography. Uh, Afghan Wigs are, uh, as I mentioned previously, a band out of Ohio, although they would be signed to Sub Pop in the Pacific Northwest. That was a source of consternation a bit later on. Um, Do you remember, Scott, on, on our uh, our show, our 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 Patreon-only show about tribute songs. I talked about Cleveland Rocks, and I said, well, here's a here's a song written about a really uncool city that, mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot going for it. Well, I mean, it, it's funny. You know, if there's any city in Ohio that's less cool than Cleveland, it's probably <laughs> Cincinnati, which is know, like Toledo's southern in that, Ohio. In there, too, maybe. Yeah. Okay, you know what? My, okay, my, my wife's secret shame is that, you know, she's Chicagoan, but she was actually born in Toledo, yeah. and that's just something that she'll only admit to her best friends <laughs> and her closest closest confidants, and I just told our entire audience. Nah, no one will. That's, that's all right. It'll never get back to her. Never. Uh, the, the, the origins of the band is Greg Dooley, who uh, plays guitar, writes most of the songs, lyrics especially, It sort of, you know, lights the path for the band. Rick McCollum on guitar, uh, uh, John Curley on bass, and then Steve Earle on drums, but no, not that Steve Earle. A different Steve Earle on drums. Uh, formed around 1986, and the origin story uh, differs depending on which one you want to believe. One says that Greg Dooley met Rick McCollum while they were both in a jail cell for disorderly conduct. Uh, another one says that, well, Curley just introduced Dooley to McCollum, and they got along real well because they both loved that uh, that that 60s 50s 60s R&B sound. Uh, either way, it was a short trip from the creation of the band to put in, put in together the first pieces of music that would become this debut album called uh, Big Top Halloween. And before we get to that, I guess uh, Jeff alludes to this, and John has too. But one of the important things to note is, and the Afghan Wigs are are certainly a rock band, but unlike many of their peers around that time, they don't necessarily take their cues from rock bands. Uh, They're not looking back to Zeppelin. Uh, They're not looking back to The Who, except in in, certain places. But, you know, their their blueprint, their template is soul and R&B music. It's where they take their their cues from, Um, you know, thematically. I mean, what is that great R&B music about? It's about 
longing and sex and love and rejection. You think of a, a burning soul song like Bernadette. Sin. Yeah. Sin. That's what it's, a lot of it's about. And, and before that, they were the Afghan Whigs, yeah. for 10 minutes, they were a band called the Black Republicans, <laughs> which is a horrible band name. You know, this sort of Reconstruction era a partisan political reference. You know, I, I, this is political beat, so we can talk about a political name, and now we'll, now we'll drop it. But the name is also a kind of hat tip to African-American life and culture, mm. this idea of the black Republicans. And there are going to be lots of hat tips yes. to this. Hey, listen, throughout John, to be honest, the Afghan Whigs is technically a political reference. Well, that's, that's the, so what? So, so when they needed, when they felt they needed to change the name, they, they did a kind of play on words. And so we have, a, you know, yeah. an, an, a, a, I guess not a racial reference, maybe more of an ethnic reference with Afghan. But then the Whigs is W-H-I-G-S, which is, you know, the old defunct political party. So they come up with this name. I love the name. I think probably others think it's weird. They're like, you know, they don't know that it's the political party. They think it's the thing you put on your head. But <laughs> uh, but that's 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 what they come out of is, is the black Republicans. And they put out this first album. It, it really, you know, it truly is their first album, although... If this were literature, we'd call it Juvenalia. It was um, uh, called Big Top Halloween, came out in 1988 on on a label called Ultra Suede, re, re, you know, uh, uh, recorded. It's their own label, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it isn't is, it, yes. It was it, their own boutique. Right, right. recorded it in, in, in Cincinnati, and they were at this point a garage band. And you can't find this album no. on Spotify. You can't, you know, you can't download it anywhere. If you if you look around on YouTube, you'll hear some of the tracks. Couple it's, of them, yeah. And 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 what you'll hear is a band that sounds an awful lot like the Replacements. Now, I remember when I was getting into the Afghan Whigs, and I loved Congregation. And then I, you know, what you what do you do? You go backwards. You look at what else has has this band done before you discovered them. You know, I found Up in It, which is we'll get to in a moment. I'd heard about Big Top Halloween. This was before the internet. You know, you couldn't go searching for this stuff. You know, for me, it was like a rumor that there was this early well, band. There and, were a and, thousand copies pressed, right. and it's never been reissued. Exactly. So so you, you couldn't find it anywhere. I mean, I'd go into record stores. I'd always go, you know, search under A. You know, could, will I find it this time? You know, never found it. And uh, but but there it is. And, you know, Greg Dooley once joked that, you know, he knows it's really hard to find. He says, my mom has 20 copies stashed away under a dresser. <laughs> you know, but but it's 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 it has that kind of quality to it where it's this it's this group of guys just kind of having fun, experimenting. They're entrepreneurial enough to kind of get their act together to put out an actual an actual record. But this is this is a startup kind of thing. And it's 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 juvenilia compared to what comes next. Artifact. It's it's worth if if you love the band, it's worth listening to. 
Um, otherwise, I think you can probably, you know, unless you want to be a completist like yeah. like like I aspire to be, you, you can probably skip over it and you're not going to miss much. It's really hard to find, as you said. I, I heard it years ago and I went back now to try to find it again to listen. And again, you, you can't you can't get it. Uh, there are a couple a handful of songs on YouTube. A couple of songs were re-recorded for for up in it the next album. But it's hard to find. The few things that you hear, again, yes, they really do have a very Replacements-esque tone. And even Dooley's voice at the beginning sounded more like Westerberg than it would uh, down the line. almost no uh, none of that R&B influence on these early tracks uh, they are they are a rock band uh, and and they are sort of leaning in the in the grungeish area they would sort of end up in in the very next uh, the very next album so it's hard to talk a lot about big top Halloween because no matter what we say people are not gonna be able to find it anyway it's fairly telling too that like it kind of reminds me of old 97s you know before they 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 really made it big on stuff like too far to care they had their first two albums and particularly like hitchhike to rome that first old 97s album they just plundered it when they went to their major label career they just took the best songs and re-recorded them they even started re-recording them as soon as their second album for crying out loud and so like their opinion on big top halloween is clearly indicated by the fact that they felt completely free to just take it all the best songs redo them again for up in it and then leave the rest behind and you can't find it and uh, you can find like for example the original version of the title track big top halloween it's on there it's on youtube so you can pull that one up if you want but trust me the re-recording on up in it is like 100 times better there's just so much more sure they understand what they're doing now it's kind of again another parallel of spoon with the nefarious ep their first ep they re-recorded all the original songs on that for their first album and they're way better and way more melodic and way more assured. So it's not a travesty that we're not going to spend much time talking about this this early, you know, uh, you know, high school yearbook photograph album. And instead, we, I guess the most important thing about Big Top Halloween as an album is that a copy somehow managed to find its way out to Seattle uh, to Sub Pop Records. And the uh, I don't know whoever the exec there was. It's a pretty small shop. Heard it and said, okay. Well, you know, they're a Seattle-based, you know, record label, and all they do are sign, like, you know, Washington State area and Pacific Northwest area bands. And they decided to sign the Afghan Wigs, which was a big deal for them. This is the first time that they had ever signed any artist from outside the Pacific Northwest. I mean, and how far outside the Pacific Northwest? Cincinnati, Ohio is practically the south. (laughs) <laughs> which is, I think, some people don't realize that because they think Ohio is like, no, it's more Kentucky than it is Ohio in a lot of ways. Um, and so you've got a, a completely different band with a different co- coming from a different culture signed to like, you know, the hippest indie label on the planet. And I think you could argue they probably felt pressure to, to, to sort of, again, as I mentioned right at the beginning, to the hue, to the sub pop house style. And so that's what you get a lot of on Up In It, which is a, a pretty great. I'll consider it their real debut album, right? And the and the you band, know, Jeff, the band regards it as their debut. 
You know, if you, right. if you ask Greg Dooley, any of these guys, you know, what was your first album? They would say this. You know, the, the one that comes before is like the novel you wrote when you were 16. This is this is this is the novel you wrote when you were 25 and you had a sense of what you you know, you knew what you were doing. Or it's like your live journals, which, you know, unfortunately are public because they're published online. And so you can't pretend that they never existed, but they were your, your real professional work. Sadly, they're still out there somewhere, but you're going to do your best to like comb the Internet to delete all evidence of them if you can. <laughs> This I, I um, Jeff mentioned they were sort of cueing to the sub pop sound. They used sub pop's house producer Jack and Dino on, on here. They were a non Northwest act on sub pop. There probably was some thought that they had to impress their label mates, the people who uh, and, and people who were paying for the album as well. Um, but I also don't think that they were quite settled on what they wanted to be either. You know, the, the, there's a there's a wild mix of of, of sort of genres on this album something like amphetamines and coffee is pure adrenaline you know it's pure grunge um white trash party i wrote down is is it's the best red hot chili pepper song period i mean i think it's better than most red hot chili pepper songs bass is always such a foundation for a lot of these tracks and it, it is on white trash party rock solid bass line and then mccollum is doing a lot of you know john frusciante style riffing on that song so you sort of have that sort of funk element creeping in you've got something very pretty like uh, uh you're my flower which uh i think was they made a video for there was at least some attempt to to, to market you're my flower uh kind of a, like a pretty doom track it's pretty but there's these these dark uh, fuzzy, scuzzy elements to it. Um, and then Son of the South, I think, is where lyrically you begin to see what Greg Dooley is going to be capable of because Son of the South has this sort of southern swing style to it musically, but lyrically it's the story of uh, a guy who's with a suicidal woman, dating a suicidal woman, and is about to leave her because he just can't be bothered to, to, to figure her out, essentially. Uh, asking her if she's got a bottle of pills, what happened to your wrists. Uh, there's this couplet or this line early on, um, uh, what do you see in me? She used to say out loud, I see myself in a year if I'm still around. Like trying to find a way out and uh, not dealing with the problem or not dealing with her problems. Uh, so lyrically, Son of the South is one of those moments that I you can begin to see the, the stories and narratives that Julie would begin to sort of weave into the music.
you know, very grungy, very sub popish. A lot of Rick McCollum's, you know, guitar sort of a lot of pedals, uh, a, a lot of loud guitar throughout up in it. Uh, it. It hints at, I think, the greatness, but doesn't quite reach it. I like this album. I don't love this album. When I when I want to get an Afghan Wigs fix, rarely am I grabbing up in it to to, to do that. I'll 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 get to it eventually, uh, but but I don't start here. Um, it's their most eclectic album, certainly in this first run. You know, may, maybe they, they're, they're they're eclectic again as they as they reunite more recently. But it's the it's the, it's the most eclectic album. You get a sense there's there's some experimentation going on. They're trying different things, some different sounds. It's the grungiest thing they ever did. This sort of punk metal fusion, a lot of distorted guitars. Um, they're 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 thinking of themselves as a rock band for sure. But then on a song like White Trash Party, you get this wah wah guitar. And it's like there's a whiff of of what we're going to get a lot of pretty soon, and and then they're you know Son of the South is kind of a southern rock song, mm-hmm. and they don't do a lot of that going forward. Um, uh, Big Top Halloween, this 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 re-recorded version again, it kind of sounds like the replacements. Uh, I like You My Flower, that's a very good song, and then the album also has one of my very favorite Afghan wig songs, and it's the first cut. On the album, it's called "Retarded," which, uh, as Taylor Lorenz <laughs> might say, the well, R word. Yeah, so R word. So, so it's a word we're not supposed to say, but that is the name of 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 the song. It's called. And Retarded. it was their first like sound of college radio hit. Yes, as well. mm-hmm. yeah, and it's a great song. I mean, it's it's, it's loud and fast. Um, it has Dooley's signature vocal style, which is it can be. Um, uh, first of all, powerful, robust, kind of shouty. Has some shouty parts that I'm I'm now completely used to, but I think might <laughs> might, might might be off putting to 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 a certain kind of listener. Um, he he gets a kind of better command of what he can do with his voice very soon. But I love this song. I will never be tired of this song. Uh, and it's also got it. The very first line is um, uh, quintessential Afghan wigs. Television's gone. I'm alone with Lucifer. You know, we get this notion of, of, of loneliness, of, you know, failed technology, and also, also deviltry. And, and the song, insofar as I can determine what it's about, is, I think, kind of about addiction. It's, it's not about, you know, special needs kids are mocking them or anything like that. Dooley has been asked, you know, do you regret having called this song retarded and he's like he's like no don't give me that he's he's like he's like completely on pc about this and uh i love this song um um it's it's one of the best things they've recorded and uh uh it's it it almost makes the album you remember back in the days when you would have to buy a cd and <laughs> and 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 sometimes you would you would you would only have a couple good songs on it you know this one song i think is worth the price of admission
I'd, I'd put down my $15 to own this album, which has some other good stuff on it, but just to get this song. It is, it is, it is that good. Uh, the album as a whole, I think it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, it, it, toward the bottom of, 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 of what they're going to go on to do. Um, I like it. Don't love it. It's got one of their best songs. I actually think that the best song on the, the proper album, and this is one of those funny things because there's a difference between the cassette or the, the vinyl version and then the CD version, which I'll get to in a moment. But considering the original album, I think the last song is the best song. It's called I Know Your Little Secret, and it absolutely does have that same sort of that, that lyrical tone that's going to come to define the Afghan wigs, where he's talking about someone. He liked to kiss the girls. He liked to kiss the in-betweeners and lie with them and lied to them and light it up. And what's the chorus? It's just, I know your little secret. I know your little secret. And it was all the lies and all the hesitation won't bring me closer now. He's talking about very kind of, you know, almost claustrophobic you know relationship you know love lust stuff going on there that isn't quite clear it isn't quite clear who's doing what to whom and and who's being referred to but it's all rather ominous and and it's got a fantastic guitar riff that underpins it i think it's the best song on the original record funny things and once a, you, when you look at a cd especially if you, you're wired the way i am you always prefer shorter albums to longer albums and then you, you you go to wikipedia as i did because i'm learning this all for the first time and then you see like the last four songs are cd only <laughs> bonus tracks and you're like oh no so this is going to be stuff that they probably would have been better off leaving on the cutting room floor or putting around as b-sides and that would have been a complete mistake because the best actual song on this cd is one of those extra cd bonus tracks it's called in my town what a fantastic song in my town is it's acoustic based power pop sure there's an electric guitar in the background but the bed of that song is just i think it's julie starring on an acoustic rhythm guitar and it has like a, just a killer chorus a really kind of um, something that you wouldn't actually necessarily go on to associate with the afghan wigs it's got a really poppy upbeat chorus it's really a great tune and it's one of those things that you know we, the people will treat this album as sort of like you know their early formative steps and it is but Go here in my town because that's that's a song that stands up from back in their original years. This is where I come from. 
in between uh, this and their next album, they put out a, a, a non-album single. And what was it? And this is really telling. It was a Supremes cover. It wasn't an original song. It was a cover of uh, the classic Supreme song, My World is Empty Without You. And it is just marvelous, ominous stuff if you haven't heard it. So Dooley is singing almost entirely in a falsetto. And for the first time in their career, you suddenly see like, oh, there's a real R&B underpinning to this band. Why would this grunge band you know, on a Seattle label do a completely like sincere, non-ironic cover of a Motown hit from 1967 and you know ignore the guitar noise on that thing it's just a disguise it's a disguise for what this group was going to become and let's we'll put a put a marker there because I want to return to that song in a few years once 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 uh, a few years elapse and that's an important song for the band but yeah. uh, uh, Scott let's go on to Congregation yeah still on sub pop right so this is uh, still the, uh, the the seattle record label and you know it's not as if up in it was a giant hit as we've mentioned previously and this was a th- there was some turmoil here I-, I think it's the way that the band essentially did their business but they were constantly fighting and breaking up and getting back together and breaking up and so i think Dooley wrote a majority of these songs on congregation at a time when they weren't sure there was going to be another album. They were, were at odds with each other. And Sub Pop had no money. This was pre-Nevermind. So as they're putting Congregation together, they're constantly being kicked out of the studio because Sub Pop has not paid uh, the engineer in the studio money to have them use the studio. Dudley, uh, Dudley, in fact, got out of town and was, I think, working in L.A. trying to scrounge up dollars so he personally could pay to finish up Congregation. And they were at constant odds with the engineer they chose uh, uh, on the record. Greg Dooley and the engineer didn't get along at all. And there's uh, some of this, I mean, it's hard to say how much of it is just Dooley's sort of uh, personal personality or alter ego and how much of it is is these frustrations with both Sub Pop and frustrations with the engineer. But this is a, you know, it's a darker, angrier uh, record that, also begins to reveal the band's love of R&B and soul in certain places. And before I let John go further, um, I'll point out here that virtually every single Afghan Wigs and Twilight Singers album has an indelible image as its cover art. I I can't think of one specifically that I wouldn't say that's a great album cover. Congregation, that's a great album cover. Uh, you know the starkness. I think it's the best, actually. Yeah, uh, the 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 red, the red blanket. Uh, there's a nude black woman holding this white baby, which again, going back to sort of the the debt that the band owes to these, you know, African American R and B soul singers of the '60s, holding literally holding them up on the cover of Congregation. It's a great cover. It's what a cover that I want to buy the the literal LP album just to have the larger version of that cover. Well, that, that cover is so striking. I, I remember looking at it for the first time. I had no idea what it meant, but, but you, you know, now you see it's like metaphor alert, right? I mean, this, this, this explains who they are through, through, um, a, a, a visual and, uh, uh, it doesn't even have their name on the cover. It's just, it's just the, the image. And to finish off the, the story about how did congregation come out of sub had no money. And the answer <laughs> is 
Nirvana. Finally, yes. Yeah, because because something like six or eight months before Congregation comes out, Nirvana explodes with Nevermind. And so all of a sudden, Sub Pop, which has no money, goes from, from famine to feast. They have, they have money they don't know what to do with. And so they can pay off bills, they can finish, and Congregation can come out. And there's a story that, you know, as it did, um, as it was wrapping up, I think, uh, Greg Dooley went to a Nirvana show and went backstage and thanked Kurt Cobain for <laughs> saying, you know, your success has allowed me to put out my album. And, and what an album it is. It, this is, so, so it's 1992. This is the album where the Afghan Whigs really become the Afghan Whigs. They, 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 they achieve liftoff. They're launched now. And you get this uh, a coherent uh, collection of rock and kind of funk and soul infused, you know, Motown punk kind of sounds. And and we've talked about you know the 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 Motown influence here. There there's a story when when the Wigs were first getting together and I don't know trying out a drummer or something like that. You know, one of the songs they would play to 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 test each other together was was Psychedelic Shack by The Temptations and. I don't know what the quintessential Motown band would be, but it might be The Temptations. And, and, you know, we think of My Girl and stuff like that. You know, Psychedelic Shack was a song, was an album called, but there's a song on an album, the same name, that is just The Temptations trying to do psychedelic rock. And a lot of people hate it. I've always loved it, but it sounds kind of like the Afghan Wigs. This is, <laughs> this is the forerunner sound to what the Wigs are going to are going to work on and perfect. And so you get, you get a handful of rock songs that sound like they belong on, you know, The Shaft, you know movie soundtrack or something with you know it's rock clearly rock and roll but it's got this uh wah-wah guitar pedal effect kind of thing going on in the background and it gives you this r&b element that that you just don't hear in 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 other in other bands at least not a lot So this album, I have a lot of nostalgia for it because it's it's kind of my discovery album with with them. I played it to death when it came out. Um, it's got three very good songs right at the start. Uh, I'm her slave, which is a, another song about addiction. Uh, Turn on the water, which was an early single. I remember staying up late to watch 120 minutes on MTV because I'd heard somehow that that they were going to play an Afghan wig song, show the video, and you know stayed up till one in the morning to do that when 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 it when it debuted uh the 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 next song is is really one of my very favorites called conjure me 
uh, a great, you know, again, Motown punk kind of sound, a great lyrics. I'm going to turn on you before you turn on me. When it came out as a single, the, um, the song Jeff mentioned, uh, My World is Empty Without You, the, the Supremes cover was the B-side. Go, you know, kiss the floor, congr. I love con the, the the title track, congregation. I love the chiming guitars that uh, that that start that one off. Um, that's got an interesting lyric in it as well, where where Dooley sings, "I can't recall yet if I'm black or if I'm white or wrong," and you can you can make a few things of that. But there's there's another black white reference. You know, he says says you know you get a sense that 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 African American music infuses him. This is his muse. He's kind of saying that you know I don't know if that's me or if, if this other thing is me. It's kind of a nice nice line there. Um, and and on we go. And that you know there there's there's another cover on here uh, called the Temple, which is from of all places <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know if that's ever been recorded as a rock song, but the Afghan Wigs did it. Oh, it's really it's. I think it's actually pretty obnoxious to uh, be honest. Okay. I, I kind of look. I, there's there's nothing on this album I dislike. I think some songs are stronger than others. Some songs are really really great. Some are some are fine. Um, and then and then the album closer, uh, Miles is dead, which was um, uh, it was a hidden track. It was not it was not listed on on the cassette tape as I recall. Um, Miles is dead. It's a reference to Miles Davis who had just died around the time it was recorded and um and and for years this was a kind of concert closer for the afghan wigs they'd finish their sets uh with this song so it had it had a real durability but i i really i love this album Now, there's nothing more to say. You've basically covered every song. 
uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that because I think this is there are four albums on their career. Uh, speaking as the one who just discovered them recently, that that are competing to make my top two at the end of the show, and this is one of those, and this is the first one. And you know, I don't want to repeat uh, everything that, that John said, but I think the first thing you have to say is. That this is just a really astonishing step forward. It's such a more subtle sound, and then the soul funk R&B grooves are clearly coming into focus. But the emphasis is still on sort of an alt-rock, grungy fusion. You know, and in fact, I think Turn on the Water is a really good epitomization of all of that, because it opens yeah. right off the bat with that waka-waka-waka guitar, the sort of shaft funk guitar. But then there's also a piano in the background, and there's this relentless tribal beat, and in, and then again, this is the thing that has to be emphasized about Dooley's songwriting. It's pop songcraft as well. There is a big, undeniable lyrical hook in the chorus. basically the tone setter for the entire album i mm-hmm. also agree that conjure me is one of the best songs on this record it's his desperate vocals when Dooley gets up into his high range it's funny he almost sounds a little bit like uh, chris cornell maybe mm. or even eddie vetter when he's really like hyperventilating you know in those early pearl jam albums which is strange because you know he has a much more gravelly voice he doesn't have the sort of i guess tonal perfection of, of those two guys but he has a real rage and a real power in his vocal and that chorus which is so perfect so you know, i'm gonna turn on you before you turn on me is preceded by an equally perfect verse and that's by the way where rick mccollum really needs to be praised the, the guitar that he plays on these early afghan wigs records is so essential to their sound that obligato that he plays on the verse of that song uh is you know a perfect example of what he contributes to every one of these songs sometimes he's laying down just sheets of sound and it's like it's raindrops of guitar that 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 mesh perfectly with you know the sort of much more sort of fundamental rhythm that Julia is playing and he'd also sort of work with the bass drums rhythm which has a you know I guess a much more sort of rock solid R&B groove. I don't know how it works. It shouldn't work. It's like a Frankenstein's monster of a fusion, but it actually comes out like, you know, sounding very natural and very organic. Uh, Beyond that, you know, there are so many songs you could mention here. I I would say that, you know, kiss the floor is one that I think is great. And it kind of gets lost because it comes right after turn the water. uh, And, um, and on, uh, 
uh, conjure me. But Kiss the Floor is just another great soaring guitar anthem, and you realize immediately the band has hit an early peak. And then the last thing I want to talk about is Let Me Lie to You, which I really like, and it's the first time that mm-hmm. they really tried to to do um, a straight, I guess, a ballad, mm-hmm. a, a, like a, a really burning torch ballad. It, it's achingly beautiful. And what is what is it about? Is is it about self loathing, or is it self pity? Is it self confession? Or is it self-concealment? There are all sorts of ambiguities in that lyric. And I think that's that's what people were turned on to about Dooley's lyrical writing. Is that, you know, he could come across as like, you know, like like a, a really kind of a nasty guy who you wouldn't want your daughter to date. And yet also he's sitting there analyzing himself and, and, and kind of confessing his own inadequacies all at the same time. And that's a very neat trick to pull off. Yeah, this is just from start to finish. This is a great, great album. And the only thing I can say is whatever you do, do not go and watch the music video for Miles is Dead because it's <laughs> as disturbing as anything Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails were doing at that time. You don't want to see it. Uh, great song, though. So Let Me Lie to You brings up one of the great th- lyrical themes in Afghan Wigs, which is which is truth and lies and and you know how we use the truth manipulate the truth and lies and so forth and this song this album has a song called this is my confession which which by the way is is a kind of uh, a reference to to Dooley's clearly catholic upbringing um he you know i would ne- not claim that craig Dooley's a church going catholic <laughs> but you can tell this is an example of you know you can you can take the boy out of the church but you can't take the church out of the boy i mean his his songs are full of catholic guilt and, and, and that song, This Is My Confession, obviously has a kind of Catholic reference to it, but it's about empty sex. The, the key line is, uh, you are all just meat to me. But it's also got a line, um, I'm lying now, I always do, I know my way around the truth which, you know, introduced the, the idea of the unreliable narrator. And you just, you just don't know if he's telling, you know, when he's singing to you, is he telling you the truth? Is he lying to you? You don't, is he, is he playing with you rather than just, you know, the character he imagines? But, but his songs are replete with these themes.
right. Now you guys have really said all there is to say about congregation. Uh, oh, Scott, I'm I will, sorry. No, I will only... Uh, it, it's all right because I know it's one of John's favorites because every time I'm in the car with him, congregation is on. <laughs> and um, I, 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 I don't know if any of my really all-time favorite songs from the Afghan Wigs end up on congregation. So I don't, I, I don't want to expound too much on what you've said other than uh, the one that maybe does it for me most is Turn on the Water. I think that's such a pivot point difference maker song for the band and in, in how they approached it. Those R&B soul elements that begin to be uh, integrated into the sound. Turn on the Water is a really big point. It's a, it's a really important point, uh, uh, for, for, for a really important song, I should say, in, in, in their history. Um, and the one thing I don't think they have quite yet handled is some of the dynamics that they would soon learn kind of the, the, the push and pull of the song. I think they were still sort of learning and mastering that. And that's where I think, in addition to the lyric, lyrical theme, but I think the music part of it, that's where the big leap happens as we slide towards Gentlemen. But before we do, there's an album of cover songs that comes out here. And this is something I know we uh, Jeff wants to talk about, and, and John too, uh, Greg Dooley and Afghan Wigs are tremendous at choosing cover songs, playing cover songs. They do these amazing things live in concert where they weave other people's songs, Prince and others, into their own tracks. They choose interesting covers. And this, as, as Jeff had alluded, alluded to earlier, they already did My World is Empty, and now there's another EP full of cover songs. And they, they sort of return to this through their career, paying tribute and sort of honoring these songs they love uh, in the best way they know how, which is playing them themselves. Yeah, it's the Uptown Avondale EP. It's the last thing they did for Sub Pop, right? So the, after the success of Congregation, just like all these other great bands on the indie record labels, they're going to get scooped up by a major label, Electra Records. Ironically enough, the same uh, record label that also scooped up Spoon. Um, and... As their little farewell to Sub Pop, they record an EP, and you might just think, well, it's a five-song EP, and four of the songs are old Motown or soul or, or traditional covers. And the fifth song is actually a remix of Miles is Dead, which is you know kind of puckishly titled Rebirth of the Cool, you know, as opposed to Birth of the Cool. Um, but it's actually pretty good. They actually set it to like uh, – like a, a, a Madchester beat. Like it, it sounds like a Stone Roses song for some reason, but it works and, and it's pretty good. But the covers are fantastic. I think one of these actually made their greatest hits album. Uh, Come See About Me, another uh, Diana Ross and the Supreme song. But I, I like that one, but I really love the opening track, which mm -hmm. is Band of Gold. Um, you know, my, my love gave me, I'm left here with just a band of gold, you know, an, an empty marriage and, you know, I'm abandoned and I'm alone. And, and it's so strange because it's such a stark cover. It's not, there's, it's not lush. It's not, doesn't have like, you know, sort of lushness that you would even come see about me. It has a much more traditional, you know, at least rock sound to it. But these are just all echoed and, and very sparse guitars, bass and drums on them. And the way Dooley sings them, he doesn't try to he doesn't try to be like a black R and B soul singer, which I appreciate. He just he's just himself. And because he's himself, he sounds more authentic than he ever would in a million years have sounded if he was trying to like do like an impersonation act.
Band of Gold and Come See About Me are the are the two best songs on this on this EP. They're both Holland Dozier Holland songs. This is this is the 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 songwriting team that's behind the hit factory of Motown in in the 1960s. Uh, I, I really like the Come See About Me version, which was of course originally the Supremes. When the Supremes do it, it's 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 kind of a bright and optimistic song. Um, the Afghan wigs make it a little darker, but uh, that's what they do. And uh, those, those are the highlights of this one. Band of Gold and Come See About Me. So now, Scott, since we uh, swallowed up like hungry snakes, all of Congregation, I think it's only fair for you to introduce the most famous Afghan wigs album of all time. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, and in continuing, I, I love the cover art on Gentlemen. I, I, I just love it. Um, and, and, and this album is one of those that that just sticks out in uh, in their career and in a record collection. It is uh, a step forward, I think a clear step forward from Congregation, and you have the thematic, um, the thematic whole of the album, this chronicling of uh, the death rattle of a relationship and all that comes with it. Um, and the darkness, uh, but also the seduction and the obsession and the manipulation. And you're a culprit, but you're also a victim in places. And Dooley uh, is not one to hide. Um, it, it's a narrator who is fully aware of all the actions that he's engaging in. And not ex- actually asking for forgiveness either. It is all very stark. It is all very black and white. Musically, I think that leap I talked about uh, previously, where uh, they, I think they understand the dynamics of a song a bit better, the way they want to present it, like the, the push and the pull, the way that those riffs can sort of snake around uh, the rhythm of the track. Uh, it begins with the way many Afghan Wigs uh, albums begin with this sort of cinematic intro, this scene setter. Uh, Dooley is prone to list in the credits uh, credits uh, that albums have been shot on location wherever they were recorded, and actually, as part of the deal with Electra, he had optioned the ability to for them to fund him to make a movie. He was a film student in college, and th- that never happened. Although some of the songs would make it to a, a, a future release, but so he has this idea of the way of a, of, a, of a narrative on an album albums are very important to this band the way they're constructed the way the songs are sequenced is very important to this band and if i were going starts um it's the calm before the storm i think julia said this um he, he he needed to present a bit of intimacy before it all became before it all came down before it all fell apart and that's if i were going this this conversation with a new lover about an old lover and what should I tell her she's going to ask uh, it's all a lie it's nearly dead this old relationship uh, and this very kind of serene presentation which absolutely crashes into Steve Earle's start stop drum beat at the end if if I were going straight into gentlemen which is one of their greatest greatest songs and you sort of go from this dreamlike state crashing into this harsh reality of gentlemen where uh, the narrator's true personality uh, comes out and as much as he uh, tells you he's a gentleman you, you very much can tell that he is not it's all
he's a pure sleazebag. Right. And yeah, the, uh, the the video for this one. I went and watched all the videos for these songs before the show. Video it makes it even clear. He's like a voyeur looking at windows and all these sleazy scenes of girls. And it's yeah, it's just yeah, it, it's it's hedonism at its worst. But it, it's such a perfectly self lacerating portrait. Well, and when he when he sings, "I'm a gentleman," he snarls, "I'm a gentleman." He knows he's not a gentleman. So there, this is you know, it's just the line is just drenched with drenched irony, with irony. Yeah. yeah. And, your your infection, please. I haven't got all night. What a what a line that is. And there's a there's a there's a, a three song like a suite here, right? Gentlemen into be sweet, and then into debonair. Which, if you have any doubts about this band, should put them completely to rest. Uh, that wonderful hook of be sweet, which McCollum wrote. The you know the, 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 those riffs. The doom 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 doom. That's McCollum who, who wrote that. And uh, again, with the push-pull, that, that roar that enters the chorus of Be Sweet. And I love the sonic resolution that you get at the end of that song with uh, you know Dooley uh, repeating, Baby, Be Sweet, Be Sweet, over the close of that song. But it also has a lyric where he sounds like he's practically in heat. It was the one that I joked about at <laughs> yes. the beginning of the show. It's kind of almost, God, is there an iconic Afghan Wigs lyric? Well, unfortunately, I suppose it's this. It says, I got a dick for a brain, and my brain is going to sell my ass to you, which is both you know, very raunchy, but also I admire the confidence. <laughs> first, I admire the confidence. First, first line of that song. Debonair, I, I imagine Jeff Love, because Dooley has described that as taking the riff from I Want You Back and marrying it to the Twin Peaks uh, uh, chord progression uh, uh, from the intro to the show. And uh, yep. uh, Jeff's a giant fan of that. I want to I take all the songs. The other one I want to talk a lot about is What Jail Is Like. That's another all-timer for me. And it's one of the few on this record where the the attention lyrically is turned outward and not inward. This is not uh, Dooley sort of being an open book about his his despicable actions and 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 feelings it's pointing the finger outward saying it's it's your fault you know? and and the way he delivers in like this this creeping not a creepy tone but a creeping tone like he's just he's just sidling up maybe in the ear of his lover right i'll warn you if cornered i'll scratch my way out of the pen and then later on 
You think I'm scared of girls? Well, maybe, but I'm not afraid of you. You want to scare me? Then you'll cling to me no matter what I do. Uh, Again, pointing that finger outward, and it's married to this really tremendous uh, piano uh, uh, guitar feedback growing to an explosive chorus. Think I'm proud of this, well maybe, but the shame you never lose, infatuated with a lunatic and cornered by the muse. And it goes What Jail Is Like is definitely an all-timer uh, song on Gentlemen for me. There's not, there's nothing, there's nothing I would criticize on this record from start to finish. And again, it is such an album in the truest sense that you're taking on this ride from beginning to end. The end, there's this uh, um, <laughs> trying a bit to make you sympathetic to the, uh, to, to the narrator a bit. There's a Tyrone Davis cover, I Keep Coming Back. It's sweeter, it's honest, it's vulnerable in a way that sort of uh, takes you out of uh, what was the most the nastiest song on the song uh, on the album comes just before it. Now you know, just a very nasty, violent song, and it's the last song that was written for the album. So it's sort of an overview of all the carnage that had come before it. Uh, a gentleman is um, again, it's a statement album, and it says that this is who we are, and this is what uh, I am, meaning Greg Dooley. This, this is this is how I want to write my songs. Total success. This is the- I could talk about I could talk about every song on this album, but I won't. I just want to mention one before I let John have his his way with everything here, and that's Fountain in Fairfax. Um, it's either my favorite or my second favorite song on the record, and 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 of course, you know, the rage in that song is just so potent it, it, about the inability to communicate. What's the lyric? Like, let me drink, let me tie off. I'm really slabbering now. Let me speak, let it dry up. Obviously, it's about a relationship that's falling apart under the influence of a heroin habit. It's like you know, he says like you know, I've been clean for a while. You know, don't come back to me. And then he's like, I, I can, I can. Where's that image where he says like, I can hear his breath inside of you, which is almost gross because he's thinking like, I can imagine like you know, someone else kissing you right now, and it's driving me crazy. But the music to that is so perfect. It has this almost Turkish or Middle Eastern modal riff and those tribal drums. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of the song. There's an orchestral breakdown. Strings. Strings come into this thing completely unexpectedly. It's the first time you've heard them in an Afghan wig song, and it most certainly will not be the last. But it works so perfectly well with the urgency of the piece. It's major key, suddenly, in the middle of an otherwise very urgent minor harmonic cycle song. And so that is, to me, sort of, and I think it's fitting for me, it comes in the center of the album, and it is sort of like for me like the central central piece mm-hmm. on gentlemen it's obviously a real low point for if it's if this is a song cycle or a concept album god forbid then that that's that's the lowest of the low points there
Anyway, so you're saying, John? So this is this is their their breakthrough album, which which might be putting it too grandly because in one sense they never broke through. But if if you own one Afghan Wigs album, it's probably this one. If you've heard one Afghan Wigs song, it's probably going to be Debonair or Gentleman. Uh, this this is the moment when they when they have kind of their big chance. It's it's their major label debut. It's got a cleaner and bigger sound than Congregation. You get a sense that there's there's um, you know some budget magic at work with 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 the way this is produced. I don't know enough about music production to to say more than that, but you just get this bigger and cleaner is 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 how it sounds. Um, I, I love the first. I like I like some of the songs on this album. If I were going, which which Scott mentioned has this this cinematic quality. The, the sound it starts with, it's this odd sound. I didn't know what it was for, for the longest time. It's the sound of a car driving across a bridge that, that spans the Ohio River in Cincinnati. And they, they, they drove across, they stuck a, they opened the door, they stuck a mic out of the car and just recorded what that sounds like as you cross the bridge. So it's got this, this sort of grinding, almost industrial sound, but that's how it begins, this, this, this oral, uh, odd oral note. Then... Um, um, Gentlemen, great song, Be Sweet. I love that same guitar riff. Debonair, one of the best things they ever recorded. It has a really interesting lyrical refrain where where Dooley sings, it's in our heart, it's in our head, it's in our love, baby, it's in our bed. And that repeats exactly a line from, from If I Were Going, right. the, the, opening, the opening track on the album. Feel it now and don't resist Founded Fairfax is a great song. What Jail is Like is a great song. Now You Know is a great song. I'm less a fan of a song called My Curse, which is on here, which... Um, oh, no, 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 that's lovely. Oh, no, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for it. I do not care for the vocals on it. And this, this song, this song is, is performed not by Greg Dooley, but, but by a female vocalist called, called uh, Marcy Mays of Scrawl. And it just, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work for me. The story behind this <laughs> song is that it was so personal and emotional for Greg Doolittle that he couldn't sing it. And he brought in his friend to sing it, and, and he loved the version she did. I know it's a popular song you know, by fans of the band. They like it. I've, I've never been that high on it. But um, Dooley kept giving her notes, like, sing it this way. And eventually she kicked him out of the studio and said, let me do it my way. <laughs> and then he loved how she did it yeah. when, 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 when finally she had, she had the freedom to do it as, as, as she liked. So a lot of people like that song. I've, I've, never, I've never really cared for but this is a strong strong album
mean, I, I actually like Mike Curse. I think it, it, she's perfect for it. And I don't think it would have been better with Dooley singing it because it has less bark and it has way more vulnerability. You know, that lyric, hurt me, baby, I flinch so much when you do. Like, what a weird masochistic line that is. There, are, There's so much, like, you know, playing with images of sadism and masochism all throughout this album. Like, When We Two Parted, that is it. That is that's a song that's woozily disturbing. You know, it has this starts off with these really off key backing vocals, and then it then it builds up slowly to that that electrifying middle section. You know, where he screams like yourself, and then the, the guitar playing. If you listen, it's all structured around bent notes, seemingly on purpose to create that drunken effect, and, and that goes perfectly in sync with the dark imagery. Like if I inflict the pain, then only I can comfort you. <laughs> that is like a really, really sinister feeling. Baby, you can open your eyes now. And please allow me to present you with a clue. If I inflict the pain, then baby. wonder how is this guy never me too because the lyrics just scream it like mark dooley there would, there would come a time like i think a couple years later where like somebody would start an, an anonymous a fanzine i guess a hate zine called fat greg dooley which would just be making fun of like how fat he is and how he sleeps around and, and does drugs and you know is basically just you know a, a catamite and uh, apparently it really got under his skin. He's like, "Oh, how would you feel if somebody started a, a web a magazine just devoted to calling you a fat bastard?" He's like, "It made me feel fat. That's what it made me feel like," which I thought was like really funny that he that he kind of he, he took it so personally. But um, you know, you you get that from this sort of stuff, but it, it's it's. It's just so immensely dark. And now here's the punchline. What do I think the finest song on Gentleman is? Would it sound crazy if I said that I thought the finest song on this album was instrumental? It's the last song. It's Brother Woodrow, the closing prayer. There, there are no lyrics here. It's, it's again, and, and also you're, we have already moved so far away from like up in it in terms of mm. sonics. Mm-hmm. This is driven by cello, okay? cello and guitar and there's beauty and suffering and also a small sliver of hope that i detect from that the music there those yearning chords it's all packed within the grooves of a purely instrumental song um now i don't know if it is the best song on this album but it is the one that really i i found myself going back to listen to again and again after frankly a rather dark record although it has some pretty good you know poppy and upbeat r&b sounds but uh, you know, here here is something that is a fascinating way for the whole thing to end, not with some explosive conclusion, but with just a very, very beautiful and, and almost contemplative instrumental.
folks, this is, you know, I'm the guy who found this record two years, two weeks ago, not two years ago, <laughs> two weeks ago. And I got to say, you've got to hear it. It really, it lives up to the hype. And I do not think that we are overselling it in any way. That the way it ends is part of what I was getting at earlier is it, 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 if it is a song cycle, it is a true cycle because you can go from the last song right back to the first song. Much like yeah. those, the, the you know the 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 violence or whatever you know the violent the addiction whatever it is that cycle of a relationship where it's good and that it's tumultuous and then you get back together and then it's bad and right so that whole thing works with the way the album begins and ends. Oh, by the way, I guess before we move on from this, they had, there is one really fun B side from this from these sessions, which is actually I looked it up. I, it sounds all the world like a Greg Dooley song, like an Afghan Wigs original, but it's actually an Ass Ponies cover. Yeah, a- Mr. Ass Ponies, Mr. Superlove. We we talked about the Ass Ponies in our last episode, our Patreon episode on our great tribute songs. Uh, but this is just a delightful smash up of like My Bloody Valentine and the band. All right, it, it, <laughs> that. that that comparison makes any sense at all. Uh, it will once you listen to it because there's banjo, honky tonk piano plus drone guitar with this great little verse chorus. And there's the line, you know, where like, you may not believe me, baby, when I tell you I am Mr. Super Love. Um, it's not an original Greg Dooley lyric, but it sounds like it should have been him because it just dances perfectly on that nice edge between self-deprecation and self-confession of something that he actually would have said in like a drunken bravado stupor it's such a funny line great example of a song where where the cover is better than the original it's just such a such a i I thought it was an original afghan wig song when i first when i first heard it and then i learned it was a cover and the the original song is not nearly as good but he 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 made magic with it 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 appears on an ep there's there's a a what jail is like ep that came out that that song scott mentioned that he likes so much it's a great ep and also on that ep is is the cover of my world is empty without you and I hear a symphony. It's a, it's a ma- it's a live mashup of these two great Supreme songs. So they, they they had originally recorded that that version of "My World Is Empty Without You" in the studio. Now we get a live version of it, and it is so so good. This is one of the best things they ever recorded. It's 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 the the best cover they ever did. I I I can listen to this thing all day long, but it's it's a, it's a couple of Supreme songs brought together, and this is a thing that that the Wigs will do in concert are these are these mashups. I've I've seen it a number of times. I've seen them in the middle of a song break into the Boys of Summer. Um, they did. Uh, uh, he did uh, Umbrella when he, we. Were, he did Umbrella by yeah. Rana when we were when we saw him in concert. I've seen him do it with Purple Rain. So and he'll often do it within his own song. So he'll kind of break in and then then go back to these mashups. But this is a this is an all Supremes mashup, and it's just a it's just a terrific song. 
So a couple of years after that, a gentleman was well-regarded, but didn't sell extremely well, and there was no single. So back at it they go. Uh, the movie soundtrack, there's a movie soundtrack they do in between, um, in between Gentlemen and this next album called Backbeat. And there were a couple interesting, I actually was tooling around YouTube last night and saw them doing some songs from Backbeat live on whatever MTV show they were doing back in the day. But uh, John, tell us about Backbeat. So Backbeat was a movie about the, the, the beginning days of the Beatles. And, and what they were doing in Hamburg. And, and I remember watching it years ago, and it was, it was a pretty good movie. The interesting musical part of it, though, is that instead of just, you know, putting the original Beatles songs on the soundtrack, is that the, the movie producers brought together a band, a, a, an original band, which was like this, this alt-rock super group that included, um, uh, well, Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters uh, was, was on, but also Mike Mills of R.E.M., Thurston Moore, yep. And then, and then, and then also Greg Dooley, whose job it was was to was to play guitar, but also do the vocals of John Lennon. And one of the ideas was as they were as they they re-recorded, um, you know, Twist and Shout, Rock and Roll Music, Good Golly Miss Molly, all these early Beatles things. And the the idea in the movie is they wanted to bring some punk energy into this soundtrack to get watchers, listeners in the 1990s, give them a sense of of how powerful the Beatles must have sounded in original back in, you know, 1960 or whatever. That, that sound to us is now so familiar, they thought the way you recapture that and the energy and the spirit of it is you get these guys together and get them to record these songs with a kind of punk sensibility. So they, they sound like the Beatles, but but also a little punkier. And uh, there's some there's some pretty interesting music there. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good film. And uh, Scott mentioned this this MTV show they did. Um, all, all, the, all the soundtrack uh, uh, songs are, are early Beatles hits, but they did a great version of Helter Skelter, which is um, um, uh, you know, a, late Beatles, a late Beatles song that's not in the movie. But it's an interesting side project for Dooley. You know what I suddenly realized is that this is actually the first time I ever heard anything about the Afghan wigs or adjacent to them because I saw Backbeat. I was a Beatle maniac you know, in high school, and I saw that film in the theaters. And I had no, of course, no idea that Greg Dooley was doing John Lennon's vocals, but I do now. And so I guess he's, you know what? Okay. I was there back when they were still cool. Back in the, in the mid-90s, that was my real exposure to Afghan wigs for the very first time. Longtime fan, Jeff Blake. That's right. Lo- longtime <laughs> hardcore fan, Way true in. expert. He bought Black Love the Day it was released, I hear. <laughs> uh, which is the, uh... Speaking of which, can any – I just wanted my, my one – intro thought about black love which comes out in 96 and then i'll let everyone i'll let you like take it up 
is that how on earth was this album treated as a disappointment? What drugs were people taking when they said that this is like a real letdown after Gentleman? Because I'm not hearing it. If if, if you guys think so, I don't know. I mean, it was it was a commercial disappointment. I think you know, Gentleman was a kind of commercial disappointment. I think they had really high hopes for this band, and and I'm sure they moved a bunch of copies, but but they just didn't explode the way uh, the way their label and the way probably they had hoped. And then Black Love um, commercially was 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 even poor. I mean, there's there's, there's not a single on it. You know, um, um, you know, they tried, but 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 nothing really, nothing really broke through. I do think this album is is maybe peak Afghan wigs. This may be the best thing they they um, um, recorded. Uh, funny story about it. Um, I, I was going through some some old concert ticket stubs the other day, and I was reminded. Um, um, I spent my third wedding anniversary with my wife at an Afghan Wigs concert, and I can't imagine what I said to her. It's like, <laughs> let's go see a band. They're touring on, on on an album called Black Love. That's how I want to spend my third wedding anniversary <laughs> with you. And so I dragged her along, and we saw them in the old 930 Club in Washington, D.C., and uh, um, I loved them. Um, um, my wife is not so much a fan, but uh, 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 anyway, good times. Um this one has a nice opener, just like Gentlemen, this kind of scene setting uh, song. It's, it's even called Crime Scene, and it begins with a sound from a train yard, and, and uh, we get, you know... Uh, it's oh, noir. Yeah, it is, right? I mean, it's almost it's movie soundtrack-ish. Um, the, the, one of the key lyrics is, A lie, the truth, which one shall I use? If the lie succeeds, then you'll know what I mean when I tell you I have secrets to attend.
like with Gentleman, it crashes into a big song next called My Enemy, which is an angry song. It has this kind of bouncy guitar riff, but it's 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 about your enemy and and, and you're mad and 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 Dooley's you know on, on you know he's ferocious on this song. Here, here's my show notes for for this song. It says the chorus just looms up like a wave arising out of a sea of lava, which <laughs> pretty much captures the anger in that song. You know, it's a, it's, it's a it's a really good song. One of my favorites on the album is called "Blame," etc. And this one has a real Motown sound. It it also has it, again just as on "Gentleman," the fourth song on "Gentleman," "Debonair" repeats a refrain from the first song. This this song repeats a refrain from the first song on this album, from from "Crime Scene." Um, uh, "Step Into the Light's a good song. "Go Into Town" is maybe my favorite on the album. It's uh, has a sort of Stevie Wonder yeah. kind of quality to it. I mean, clavinet. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a great, great song. You know, uh, get your stroll on, baby. I'll get the car. You get the match and gasoline. There's this sense of destruction. Uh, you, you, you know, maybe a city in flames or a relationship blowing up. Um, and it's got one of the one of the very best lines Dooley ever penned. Toward the end, he says. Now we got hell to pay. Don't worry, baby. That's okay. I know the boss. <laughs> that'll, that'll leave you, leave you thinking. That... And as we ride away to the countryside, I feel as though I must confide. There is a cost when you say, "Now we got hell." Was with the, I think they meant it as a kind of radio song. It was. When, I mean, it was the, it was yeah, the single. But but when you cuss as much in a song as they do there, you got to bleep it out, and it just doesn't work. But what a what a fierce and powerful song. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because I, I can go through everything on this on this album. But uh, song after song, I do like this one. I don't like. I, it. Just, I, I, have, I have something I want to say about the last two songs on this album, but I'll leave the rest for Scott. So you go, Scott. I wanted to talk about the last two songs on the album. Um, the um, I, I don't like this as much as Gentlemen. I think it's one of the... 
it's not necessarily a bad point, but it's a point. I, I think it's one of the only times in their career that they are repeating themselves a little bit uh, thematically, lyrically. I mean, a lot of the stuff on here is, is, I mean, yes, as I said, there's sort of an Afghan wig sound and an Afghan wig's palette of different places you'd go lyrically. Um, but I, I think that there is some repetition here from gentlemen and on, on musically some of the some of the songs as well. My enemy is really great. Um, uh, going to town is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, I know Jeff wants to talk about uh, faded, and I will actually steal. You can talk about yeah, both gonna, of those songs. I'm going to talk about Don't faded. Um, but yeah, the, the last the, the last third, that closing kick, bulletproof, summer's kiss, faded. That's what makes the album special for me. It's still a great album, uh, and, and those last three songs really make it. Let me. I'll. I'll. I'll take faded. Faded is uh, one of their classic live songs. One of their classic show closers. Uh, it, it, it is the album closer as well, uh, and it just is amazingly uh, just an amazing song. Those train effects return at the tail end there's great textures there's great dynamics you begin the slow fade until Dooley instructs you straight in and those guitars and drums just crash three minutes later so you get the introduction of that that wah-wah piece that would that will repeat itself through the tail end of that song and those last few minutes the best thing i can compare it to is almost like a a littered skinnard-esque uh southern jam you have these you know these this guitar attack you've got this wonderful piano like billy powell-esque piano pounding in the background as well uh, dooley's vocals are just purring throughout faded and you get some wonderful lyrics he's asking for faith you can believe in me baby can i believe in you and then real late um uh, faded this i feel behind the blue clouds i remain concealed Lord, lift me out of the night. Come on, look down and see the mess I'm in tonight. Uh, and every now and then you get these admissions, uh, confessions, as John sort of mentioned earlier, uh, where the narrator sort of does look down and see the mess that he's created, uh, what he's done to himself. This would not be resolved for many until many albums into the future. Um, but Faded is such a great closing song. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those lengthy ones that's... I don't know, it was eight minutes, but the final two minutes are are sort of this come down from this big conclusion part of, of the song. That closing kick, Bulletproof, Summer's Kiss, Faded, yeah, that's what makes this album special for me.
Faded is the song where you see just how far that they've traveled throughout their career. I mean, what does it begin with? Those ghostly backing vocals. There's an organ. There's a piano. You realize it's a gospel song, right? Sure, the guitars do come in, but it's obvious how this song was written. It was written on a piano, and it's and then you get the straight up classic soul drums with the you know the snare stick hits, you know. You could accuse the ending of Faded of self-indulgence were it not so achingly beautiful. <laughs> um, you know, it works in every respect. And the other one, I think, you know, that also shows how much they changed is Bulletproof, which I just think is wonderful. There's another great song uh, written around this time by another band called Radiohead called Bulletproof. Also a wonderful song. Very different tone. Uh, this one comes very near to being, what, almost a power ballad at first? Mm-hmm. And then it, it suddenly shifts gears. Uh uh, one third of the way through and that turns into like a prog epic so okay it's a prog epic you know how i'm gonna feel about it i love prog epics this is just a magnificent the thing about the, the afghan wigs is that it's not just interesting lyrics it, it, the music and the lyrics are both equally gripping and what i love about this album is that you get both yes i, I see what scott is saying like maybe he's recycling certain themes lyrically uh, but maybe that's just the mode that he likes to write it, you know? I, I, I think that that's also a, a fair cop. And the music, however, constantly is evolving throughout these records. And Bulletproof is a great example of that. I think that one might make my top five at the end of the show. I want to mention, and as uh, John already mentioned, it is Blame Etc. It's disco. It's disco everywhere. <laughs> and I just love how both the Afghan Wigs and Spoon found their way into black music, but through completely different ways. And the, this is a good example of that, because the Wigs are far more into the funk disco kind of black grooves, the wah-wah and stuff like that, whereas you know, uh, Spoon ultimately is goes much more for the crisp sort of 60s Tamla Motown style. <laughs> But man, that's a great song.
think there's anything weak on this album. Even like Night by Candlelight, which is like this big pompous orchestral nonsense. It, I think there are timpanies in that song, but damn it, I just enjoy it so much. It's just a beautiful piece of music, even though the lyrics don't really scan very well to me. But I have, um, I'm, I'm just constantly surprised when I go back and I read all of the reviews, the contemporary reviews and the modern reviews, saying like, well, this is really kind of a disappointment compared to Gentlemen. I don't, I don't hear that in this at all. I think some of the contemporary reviews are kinder. Uh, Stereogum did a uh, listing a few years back of uh, you know best to worst uh, Afghan Wings albums, and and uh, and Black Love ended up number one on that list. Um, so I think I think I don't want to say revisionist, but I do think that it's it's risen in stature over the years a bit when people go back and give it another chance, as opposed to hearing it at, at that very time. And so this brings us to their breakup. Everybody seems to have an acrimonious breakup with Elektra Records. Um, <laughs> and, and ironically enough, both Spoon, yeah. again, and Afghan Wigs both wrote songs bitching about how they felt abandoned by Elektra Records. Of course, for Spoon, it was Lafitte Don't Fail Me Now, which is a great song. And with, uh, with uh, Afghan Wigs, it was Neglected with a K instead of a C. So it's obvious that they're talking about Elektra uh, and that's actually only a decent song on their next album, 1965. Scott, you want to set this one up for us? Yeah, 1965 came out in 1998, so don't get that confused. Uh, Greg, Greg Dooley had uh, been recovering from depression. Uh, Greg Dooley was uncertain about the future of Afghan wigs. In fact, most of the first Twilight Singers album was recorded around the same time he was writing some of the songs that would end up on 1965. There's also an unfinished album that was never released called Stand Up to Get Down, which is a pretty good name for an album, actually. Uh, but a lot of those songs, or at least a few of those songs, would end up here in 1965. Um, if, if I said that, that Black Love was a bit too much of a continuation of Gentlemen, at least in terms of maybe style and, and, th- and themes, uh, 1965 is, is a, a bit of a break. Now, you're still in the Afghan Whigs world, but this one was recorded in New Orleans. It's a little more, you get a little more of that uh, jazz, R&B, soul feel. There are more background singers. I think there are more horns here than probably ever before, which I think is a good thing. It's not really thematically solid unless, like, horny is the theme you want to go for, because this just oozes sexuality. It's 1965. I, actually thought, I thought it was about astronauts. I mean, <laughs> it that, is on the cover. The, eh? That's what that's what I took away from it. I don't know. Uh, I think uh, you know. Briefly, uh, I'll let John start this one off. Uh, I think 1965 essentially nails the first half, and the second half I, I don't like quite as much. And uh, I would say for one big song in the second half of the record. But uh, this song, the album starts out hot, no pun intended, with with something hot. And there's a great string of songs that starts 1965.
I agree with I think everything you just said about uh, the, the the way this opens and the way this closes. The first four songs on this, I remember thinking it at the time, and it, and it, it came back to me as I was listening to hard to this again, preparing for the show. Something Hot, Crazy, Uptown Again, and 66. I listen to those, and I think in every case, they're trying to create a radio hit. Yeah, all of them, I absolutely. Mean, they, in, in a way that they have not before. Yeah. And 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 I don't know if this is, um, you know, this is our last chance to, to kind of do it. Um, you know, and they didn't get it. I mean, none of you they know, tried. I mean, something hot got pushed, and something yeah. hot got a video. In '66, certainly was more yeah. of a yeah, and cro- kind of a crossover. You could hear it on different formats if it worked, and it just it, it didn't. And they're good songs, but there's a there's a kind of um, um, uh, commercial sensibility to them that that I haven't seen before now. So I like them all, but there that's 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 one of the one of the breaks here. So it starts with something hot, which by the way becomes the song that they play on stage a, a number of years later with of all people usher mm-hmm. that convinces the band we should get back together and record again so this this has a kind of stain power the band clearly likes it and um the next one crazy again catchy radio friendly fun fact alex chilton sings on it and Jody and, Stevens yeah. sang on the last album, right? Or, right, yeah. and, and and you know the Wigs do do a nice cover of of Nighttime, the big tar, the the big star song, which which is on a it's it's not on a on a Wigs album, it's on a it's on a big star um, cover tribute album. Um, Uptown again, sixty six, really radio friendly. Starts to drop off there. Um, on, on on in the second half, there, there's a song called uh, "John the Baptist" that that's, I like. That's the one. Yeah, there's I, I like that one a lot. Um, they're they're not going for the radio hit there, although it, it just it does sound like just just pure, uh, 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 you know, two hundred proof Afghan wigs um, when 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 you're listening to it. Um, you know, the the other songs they're 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 okay. I, I don't I don't love them the way I love some of the others. This is this is a good as a solid album. It's got some great songs and uh, and it's the last album they record uh, before before the breakup. It was good enough to draw me in and keep me in, uh, interested and entertained. So it it served that purpose. And I do remember getting to John's point, getting this record and playing those first four tracks over and over again. There, there's a momentum. There you know they they flow very well. Uptown again is probably my my favorite from that 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 
four uh, songs that start the album. It has the, that quick string intro slamming into this fat beat, this buzzsaw guitar, baby untie me now, I'm ready to get down, uh, heading uptown again. John, you know, John the Baptist, yes, that's the song I like from the second half uh, of this record. Uh, Omerita is all right. Um, 66, I think, is one of the songs that was on, that was supposed to be on Stand Up to Get Down. And it is it is the one that sort of sticks out as, oh, well, clearly this is supposed to be the song that's played on both AAA stations and the adult contemporary stations and the rock station are like this one, right. too. It's because it has that really crisp acoustic guitar, yes. like, you know, it's like, got, you know um, underpinning. Yeah. Uh, better than Ezra. It's that's what I always compare it to. It's got it like, a, and they're both from New Orleans, or at least you know, uh, better than Ezra is from New Orleans, and this was recorded down in New Orleans, so it sort of has that same sort of acoustic uh, vibe with a real strong uh, beat underlying it, but it, it, it didn't happen. I agree that, like you know, if that song is better than Ezra, then I think that the, the second half of this album is is basically just Ezra. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it it's it doesn't hold up nearly as well. There is one song on the second half that I do like, which is the slide song, um, which is one of the very few times where I feel like you hear something from from McCollum that the, the in terms of his guitar contribution. big change in, in uh, 1965 yes, yes. versus the rest of their their earlier albums is that you know his lead guitar the sheets of sound approach that he has in his lead guitar just isn't really there anymore it's it's as we've all pointed out already this is a much more sort of horns 
strings, you know, uh, you know, soul approach, you know, overtly soul approach without that sort of unique Afghan wigs fusion of the guitar stuff. But that said, like, I like who doesn't like something hot? You know, you got the soulful wailing girls in the background. There's <laughs> bluesy piano. There's a massive pop hook. And then it's it's then again this very classic wigs you know this has got it's an irresistible hook and that has a typically dark lyric what's that chorus I want to get you high I want to get next to you which is pretty date rapey when you think about it <laughs> um, but yeah it is it's a great little opening number um, and now even there are songs like with John the Baptist I like that song you know I, I I listen to that song the first thing I I, I note is like wait is that a clarinet I hear or is that an oboe and then it doesn't matter because it's just swamped immediately by a ton of saxes and horns like all these massive like horn charts just come in and take over the song and it becomes like a very like sort of soulful New Orleans fun I mean, workout come on well, welcome but, home I got a little wine some Marvin Gaye I'm yours let's get it on that's yeah that's the that's the groove of that song. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't disguise its, its its origins or its debts in any way whatsoever. But yeah, I'd say of like the original Wigs pre-breakup, you know, series of albums. Uh, no, I think this is still better than Up in it because Up in it does really is really formative stuff. But this is this is weaker after those that 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 really peerless trilogy in the center of their of their career. And then Scott, you want to tell us what happens to this band and what happens next with uh, Mr. Julie? I shall. So even before 1965, again, I think there was a sense that they had they had one more shot, and that's why that the songs are a little more single focused. They were on new uh, label Columbia for 1965, and it it didn't happen, and uh, and that was the end of the Afghan Wigs. Uh, Greg Dooley already had recorded a number of songs. Uh, while 1965 was was going on, that would become uh, Twilight, this first album by the, the new band called the Twilight Singers. And um, the Twilight Singers essentially is Greg Dooley and whoever is around him at that time. Um, there are a few holdovers from album to album, but uh, this is not a side project per se. I mean, the Afghan Wigs were done, and Greg Dooley's next musical project was this band he'd call the Twilight Singers. And this would last about a decade. I mean, this was his major musical focus for at least 10 years after 1965. And I I will say right up front, this era is some of my favorite stuff that Greg Dooley has been involved in. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. But what is not among my favorite things that Greg Dooley's been involved with is this debut album from the Twilight Singers uh, called Twilight. Uh, it's a bit of a mess, quite frankly. And, it is. Um, it, you know, it sounds like demos from a guy who's not sure his band is going to continue and what do I want to do next? Uh, there are some folkish ballads that are kind of set to hip-hop, trip-hop beats. Uh, there are some kind of exotic dancey tracks in the middle. Nothing really is... F- Formative in terms of of, uh, of 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 making an album whole, Dooley has said since then he has he, he said he's disappointed in the way this album turned out, and I think the biggest strike against it is essentially nothing or very little was carried over to the next Twilight Singers album when it comes to the, again the, the musical styles that you find on Twilight. The weirdest thing about this album was getting Sheila Brazilia in to produce it. Sheila <laughs> Brazilia are this uh, British uh, like you know 
duo i i don't know how you would characterize them are they like electronica i guess that's the best way of putting them first thing i ever knew about Fila brazil was when they when they remixed a radiohead song for one of their b-sides climbing up the walls and, and then i discovered some of their stuff in college and it just seems like a like a bad match for greg dooley you, you know it's not his style and 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 you're right about how that the weird dancey stuff in the middle of this album it, it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like he's in his comfort zone and it, it just ends up the whole thing this is the first one i listened to when you know you you, you said okay we're not just going to do the afghan wigs i want <laughs> you to, to really explore the twilight singers and i just felt like well yeah, sorry I hope this that. isn't what they're yeah i was like <laughs> i hope this isn't what they're going to be like because this feels like a real footnote the good news is they get better uh, the best thing I can say about this this first one uh, came out in two thousand one is is that it's very okay, you know I can listen to it. I don't I don't care for it. I, I I will pull it out from time to time and say to myself, you know I'm I'm gonna give this one another chance. You know every few years and I'll play it and I'll, oh, I still kind of don't like it. <laughs> um, best song on it maybe King Only. There's one called Annie May, but. Um, this 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 album is 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 skippable and and, and maybe we should skip leap it? leap forward yeah. to, to the next one. I mean, the real creation, much like you know, Big Top Halloween, I suppose, is not necessarily uh, mandatory listening if you want to get into the Afghan wigs. Uh, you know, they're up in it is Blackberry Bell, which That's is the album that uh, I first came came back to. I just didn't know what Greg Dooley was doing until I saw this link to a song called Teenage Wristband. And uh, Blackberry Bell was written... Uh, du- oh, I don't think we've even mentioned this yet, but maybe it's just because it's so obvious. Greg Dooley, big-time drug addict. I mean, this is, <laughs> there's, you don't want to sugarcoat it. It's just out there. Uh, most of Gentleman's vocal tracks, apparently, were, were performed during one giant cocaine binge. Uh, you know, he had problems. Look, he, he was look put... at the videos. The videos yeah. for a co- for a congregation like there's like heroin use all over them, yeah. and like I don't know if he was actually a heroin addict, but like there's the the Miles is dead video. It opens with this this like sort of lovingly detailed scene of somebody like tying off and you know you know heating up the spoon and injecting the heroin into their veins and then slumping forward on the table and knocking the bottle of whiskey to the ground and shattering it like stuff is saturated in drugs yes and one of his buddies was uh ted demi the uh director uh well-known director of uh, a few films and um brother of of, uh, of jonathan demi but uh, ted demi passed away before blackberry bell was written and put together and essentially later uh, greg dudley would say you know when your friend dies of drug-related cause. It was a heart attack, but it was caused by drug use. You know, you can sort of wake up and say, my goodness, that could be me, or you can simply drift deeper into your addiction. Uh, Dooley chose path B, uh, at least for a little bit of time. And this is where Blackberry Bell comes out of. It is a response to both Ted Demi's death, this new experimentation with uh, his, his new band, the Twilight Singers, and it's great I am a big fan of Blackberry Bell. Uh, the only bad thing I'll say about it is that the final couple of tracks I don't think can quite keep up with the rest of the album. But begin with, with Martin Eden, which is uh, just quietly builds a piano and uh, the solo voice. And, of course, the theme, Blackout the Windows, 
it's party time. That's like Greg Dooley is back. As, yeah. soon as, you, as soon as you hear those those words after the disappointment of the earlier one, and, and that you know it's a great song, but then the you know the, the the lyric that welcomes you into the album is is pure Greg Dooley. And you begin again to hear the guitars and sort of that, again as I talked earlier that that push pull. Uh, soft, loud, dynamic certainly is a big part of Afghan Wigs and now the Twilight Singers. Uh, and there's a string of great music on here. Estenoche, where that beat is found in the European dial tone. I love that <laughs> so much. Band, I want to highlight. It's the song that brought me back to Greg Dooley and the Twilight Singers. It is still one of my all-time favorite things that he's done. It is that's their best song, I think, by far. One of those I, I agree. Triumphant, top-down, scream-along kind of. It's a life-affirming kind of song in the middle of a lot of darkness on Blackberry Bell. But you know, you want to go for a ride? I've got 16 hours to burn, and I want to stay up all night. Uh, Dooley. Um, you know, and also has Petra Hayden in the background. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her as an artist. Mm-hmm. She's the son of of jazz bassist Charlie Hayden, um, and and she's a great vocalist. Uh, she actually one of my favorite like weird novelty records. She did in a completely acapella recreation of the Who sell out every single <laughs> song, all of the advertisements and jingles in between. She just sung them all. It's while she was like recovering from a back injury or something like that, uh, and her vocal touches on that song. She also contributed to another one later on the album that I don't like as much. But God, it, it, it's, it is up there with... I'm debating whether I'll put it in my top five at the end. I know Scott will, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But it is right up there with the best of the wigs. Uh, it begins with that piano, those piano notes, yeah. and the, then they, they return, they come back, they're sprinkled across the choruses throughout the song. A great uh, Dooley lyric, uh, uh, you know, standing by, uh, trying to uh, trying to persuade, tell your mama fever come back again, look what you started, and break it easy to your boyfriend. But you're going to go on this ride with me. I'm gone, she's 
teenage wristband. Uh, the other one, I could talk about a lot of things on here. Uh, I want to uh, focus on Decatur Street, which is one of my favorites from this album. It is uh, this funky stomp of a song, but also one that plays with beats uh, and the way the piano melody sort of wraps around those beats. It's really genius. Really like Decatur. And sometimes Dooley, you know, Everything around a song sort of revolves around this one one part of the lyrics. The second verse of Decatur Street is pure perfection, and the way he delivers the lines. Up high, the sky is dark and wide tonight. It looks like it's going to fall. And then, I know what I had, and I know what I got. Maybe my soul is like a vacant lot. Shot right into the chorus. Bangs right into the chorus. Cater Street is a great song. Um, the Killer is one of the most soulful performances vocally. Uh, this is certainly him finding his way musically again on Blackberry Bell. Wow, I'm just going to, uh, you know, I'm a ditto head here, Scott. I, I, I agree completely. I think this is the best thing that the, the, the Twilight Singers did. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. I don't. Okay. I, the Blackberry Bell is the best Twilight Singers album. I will, I will assert uh, those first three songs are are maybe my three favorite songs from this this Twilight Singers era. Uh, the Killer is a song that that the Afghan Whigs have gone on to play. That they, they don't do a ton of stuff from the Twilight Singers period in these in these reunion tours. Um, um, but 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 the Killer is one of those. Uh, number nine at the end, I kind of like. It's got Mark Lanigan on vocals, the 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 Screaming Trees uh, singer. There, there, there's a. I like how it ends. There's, there's a, there's a female vocalist at the end, and it sounds like the end of uh, Pink Floyd's "The Great Gig in the Sky," mm. with with this kind of soulful um, a voice as an instrument, you know, no words, just voice as an instrument kind of performance that I, I, I really enjoy. But this is a, this is a, this is a splendid album.
actually think that the next album of theirs is as good as anything they ever did, and that's a weird thing to say because it's a covers album. Now, when Scott told me about this stuff, he's like, yeah, you know, by the way, they did a, you know, you like those Mark Dooley covers. They did, or Mark Dooley, Greg Dooley covers. Uh, they did a covers album with the Twilight Singers, and I don't really think I have much to say about that. I guess that means that you don't think it's that interesting. Well, I think She Loves You is actually remarkably good. And it's like a shocker because it is kind of the most eclectic covers album I've ever heard in the sense that usually covers records, you know, hue to one thing or another, one style or another. This is a record that that covers, you know, you know, like classic soul and R&B. It covers Mary J. Blige. It covers Fleetwood Mac, Bjork. Uh, it, there's a suite uh they merged together John Coltrane and Marvin Gaye, literally a love supreme, like a love supreme, a love supreme. And then it goes into Please Stay by Marvin Gaye. And it ends with Summertime by you know, Gershwin. This is almost one of the most cliched you know, cover tunes on the planet. You know, how many times can you do Summertime? I actually think that the zombies probably did it better than anybody else of all groups. But this one is uh, shockingly interesting. And I, I really think that if you're a guy with the range and the singing voice of Greg Dooley, and you can pull off hyper ballad and not embarrass yourself, you're doing something great. But you know, even from the opening seconds, I think Feeling of Gaze by Hope Sandoval is just a magnificent cover. And it's interesting because this could never have been an Afghan Wigs album. The, 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 the approach is far too acoustic, it's low-key, it's dreamy. Even when, they're, when they would reunite later, as we'll talk about, they weren't going to sound anything like this. You're not going to be hearing Dalbro and Melodica on, a, uh, you know, on a, an Afghan Wigs album, at least not yet. We'll see what, if the newest one has those. But it's actually a really underrated record that it's easy to skip over because it's a covers to, if it's a covers album. And, you know... People always just assume when you're doing a covers album, you've run out of steam or you're doing a David Bowie pit-ups embarrassing sort of a thing. There's nothing embarrassing about this record. highlight one song off this covers album she loves you which is which is strange fruit originally recorded by billy holiday in in 1939 when she did it, it was very much a kind of a jazz singer song and of course it's a civil rights protest song it's about the lynching of blacks in the south and you know they are the strange fruit the bodies swinging from the trees that's the strange fruit it's 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 a horrible topic but but you know one billy holiday just kind of confronts and controversial in his time and now a, as i say a kind of civil rights landmark in, in in terms of artistry and so forth um here it's just it, it it's actually given a kind of afghan wigs treatment where it's it's haunting it's 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 menacing in in the way you think it ought to be it's it's no longer this this you know croony jazz singer kind of treatment it's it it, it feels as evil as as the topic it confronts so I like I like strange fruit on this this album quite a bit. Here is a fruit for the cool. 
So you said that you don't think that um, the last Twilight Singers album is the best one they ever put out, Blackberry Bell. Uh, um, am I correct in guessing that you're going to say that this one is, Scott? Well, he- here's my confession to you, which is this entire episode and dragging John into it in this past hour and, f- well, by the time we put music in, two hours and whatever, has just all been a ruse uh, to allow me to spend the next two hours talking about this next Twilight Singers album. Uh, Powder Burns. Powder Burns. Uh, I-, 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 I will lay down the marker and then allow you guys to, to tackle it before I, I come back. Uh, Powder Burns, first of all. One of the reasons that She Loves You was done is because it really was a bit of a... It was a bit of a spinning of the wheels project because Greg Dooley at this point in time is desperately trying to get clean. Uh, desperately trying to kick this these addictions that he's had for years and years and uh, and you laid that on top of some of the background of powder burns. It was it was recorded in New Orleans, uh, part, uh, mo- uh, mostly slash partly recorded in New Orleans. It was recorded and written partially in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, in which you have uh, generators powering this studio in a deserted New Orleans after Katrina. You have a couple of songs he wrote while he was still just blitzed out of his mind. He doesn't remember writing a few songs on this record. You have songs that are written after he has cleaned up and is and is off all of his addictions. Um, you have so many different people contributing to an album like this. Uh, what it comes down to is this, this inner monologue that he literally is living through, this fulcrum that he finds himself at where he is seeing this life that he has doomed himself to live through his choices and addictions or figuring out how to pick a different path and this is the fight that goes on i don't i I don't know what this is like i don't have these addictions i've never i have not been addicted to heroin right i I don't know what this album brings me closer to understanding what it's like than maybe anything that i've heard before my marker is this powder burns is the best thing that greg dooley has ever done whether it be original afghan wigs run reunion run or twilight singers powder burns is the best I don't know how many people would say that. Uh, I like this album. I think it's the second best Twilight Singers album. <laughs> and, and maybe the Twilight Singers are the second best thing Greg Dooley did. Um, um, it's the most rock and roll album of the Twilight Singers. You know, songs like I'm Ready is a real rocker underneath the waves. My time has come. Uh, I like Bonnie Bray. I like $40. Um, it's a good, good album. 
um, um, it hasn't spoken to me in quite the same way it has a Scott Essinger. He's sitting back and listening to Scott rave about this, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll hand over the, the rest of my time to Scott so he can say more about this album that he loves so much. You're on, Scott. Go. Well, again, this is a record that starts with this scene setter toward the waves, uh, organ synth lines bubbling under before we crash into I'm Ready, which is the second track, and it is a pummeling and squealing track, intense driving, and uh, the whole album has this dreamy, hazy feel to it. What's real, what's not, uh, what is perhaps sober, what is not. Uh, Dooley made a, 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 a decision to deliver essentially every song on this record uh, with a different vocal sound uh, because essentially every song is meant to, to sort of be a different persona, a different angle on this thing that he's going through. I'm Ready, again, is this pummeling, hard-hitting song, and the chorus is I'm Ready to Love Somebody. And you can take that both ways with Greg Dooley. He's ready to perhaps actually love someone in a relationship, but... He's ready to love himself, which is, uh, again, I have no experience, but uh, I think uh, drug addicts go through this period where they have to f- they have to love themselves to get clean. And I, I wonder if that's part of what's being talked about in, in I'm Ready. There are amazing moments on this album. I want to uh, I want to talk about Candy Cane Crawl, which is actually a late song in in the, in the cycle. This is the first song he wrote after he got clean. Uh, said it's it's his moment of clarity, realizing the situation and the stakes that he found himself in. This one musically just grabs me and makes me feel what he's feeling. This very slinky organ, these heavenly backing vocals, uh, the chorus. Call up that feeling you get when you're stealing. He's trying to recapture this visceral high of uh, of addiction, whether it be sex, drugs. Rock and roll, whatever your addiction may be, uh, there are some just blisteringly hot takes live of Candy Cane Crawl. It's a magnificently written song. Slow has jumped up and grabbed me just this time listening to this album is Dead to Rights, which comes uh, later in the album. Uh, this this huge soaring chorus. This is an old one. This is one that, uh, that, that along with $40, he wrote very early in the song cycle, uh, songwriting process for uh, Powder Burns. Um, but there are so many great lyrics in here. Uh, you, you talk too much and don't say enough. Your friends ain't true. They'd have you for lunch. Uh, these, it's just a huge soaring chorus. I love this chorus and the way I, Dooley is not the best 
singer in the world, right? He's not going to impress anyone from a technical he's not, he's not perspective. technically gifted, right? He has, but he has real soul. He has he, real, he has re- conviction, right? And the way that this this chorus is six words, and he stretches out each individual syllable. Maybe I overthought the situation, overwrought. It's a great delivery. It's a great choice of how to deliver those lines. <laughs> on the title track, which might be, again, my favorite thing that's ever been done in the history of Greg Dooley. You know, powder burns. What are they? Powder burns is looking at the victim and the weapon that killed him and how close that victim was, right? Was it, but of was course, it? it's also it's also a double on Correct. It, re- it refers to cocaine. Yeah. Yes. But, but, I mean, thinking about how close he was, perhaps, to death right. and how close he was, the, the powder burns, how close were you? Uh, this Powder Burn song is intensely powerful. It's the second to last song on the record. It feels like the record is leading up to those ominous guitar notes that start this song. And this is the one where he tries to convey this, uh, how he is compelled to return to these things that he knows will wreck him. I am a fire starter. No ventilation. Now I'm kneeling as the smoke is swallowing. A uh, slow roulette, a sweet duet. I can't forget. I'm trying. Uh, the next, that next, uh, the next verse. I love it. I hear somebody calling, and now the fire's in the ceiling. There's no way to stop it. A cigarette. The fuse is lit. I can't forget. I'm trying. He is doing his best to turn away from this that he knows will wreck him and will ruin him.
but that sense of that sense of remembering what it felt like. Yes. Like, remembering what it felt like to be high. Yes. And, to, and and just like oh, it's the kind of thing that just destroys addicts. And so yeah, it, and uh, it, it's it's really powerful. I want to say first of all, first of all, this is the best Twilight Singers album. I agree. Um, and I, I also say that this cover of this album is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, Scott said right at the beginning of the show that there isn't a really, there isn't a single Afghan Wigs or Twilight Singers, for that matter, album cover that isn't really memorable. Um, this actually might be my favorite one of their combined careers. Even if I would, you know, put Afghan Wigs albums above it, uh, that's such a beautiful cover that gets absolutely in every way at the mood of this album. And I think it doesn't come closer to being embodied uh, in one song than it does on Bonnie Bray, which is the one that I want to talk about, which is, again, you know, Scott mentioned how, like, all these songs seem to be taken in a different way vocally. Well, this is like a slow crawl, a dirge, almost feels like early My Bloody Valentine at first, like that sort of hypnotic guitar chug, something off of Isn't Anything, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I can see it, but I can't feel it. It kind of reminds me of that. Um, and then, or even almost like low, it almost it's almost like slowcore in a way. <laughs> um, but the lyric is just so perfectly, I guess. Uh, I guess it, it, it hooks itself into your skin and it starts ripping small tears in it. You know that, that the way it ends. You know the soul, the scream, the smoke in between, the rise, the fall, the thrill. Uh, the first, the last, the sins of the past, the burn, the fade, the skin that you flayed, and then it's come see the sun, kill everyone. But me, I'm free, and you'd better bleed again. It is, I would say, I actually think that is the best song on the album. This is an album where I think Scott, you know, while I think he's maybe overstating how good it is compared to the rest of the Afghan Wigs discography, uh, it's a remarkable piece of work. And it's a remarkable document, actually, uh, specifically of like addiction and sort of getting yourself out of from underneath it. And also not writing like this is not like an anti-drug PSA album mm. or anything like that. It's not preachy in any way. It's just sort of like like a face-to-face dead-on reckoning with what that feels like and what it felt like and how it felt to burn and how it it's going to have to feel to like, you know, face forward and walk away from that for the rest of your life. If you can't, uh, it's, it's some really great stuff. And again, people probably have never even heard of it. And it was like, unless, 
the, yeah. the final word the final words on this album are come save me it's the final words final on words. this record I like this album. I think I like it more now than I did 10 minutes ago. You guys, you guys are persuading me to, to, to listen to it a little harder. I've always liked this album. I, I prefer Blackberry Bell. But I'll say this, this conversation about Dooley and his, 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 his problems and challenges and addictions and all that. Uh, we, we, we've talked about the lyrics of, of the Afghan Whigs and, and Twilight Singers, how, how dark they can be. And, and, and certainly... They can be, but that's not all there is to it. And I just um, last week I read a, a novel by Graham Greene, the great um, 20th century British novelist, uh, The Power and the Glory. And as I was reading it and sort of finishing it and trying to understand what it's saying to us, I thought, my gosh, I wonder if Greg Dooley is the Graham Greene of rock and roll. And and what I mean by that is Graham Greene was a was a Catholic writer but controversial among Catholics, partly because he was drawn to the to the dark and the dirty and the dangerous, and he he understood the connection between uh, sin and suffering and salvation, and and he doesn't tell you know he tells these stories that are that that have a kind of Catholic sensibility, but they're not neatly packaged stories about saints doing good things. They're stories about deeply flawed people struggling. And, and how they come out in the end and, and the complications and the controversies and so forth. And it, it felt a little bit like Flannery O'Connor, hmm. again, another, another writer kind of difficult to grapple with at times, you know, willing to stare ugliness in the face and finding, finding you know, grace in defeat or what looks like defeat and so forth. And, and, and there's an awful lot of that in, in Greg Dooley's lyrics. He, 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 he was raised Catholic. He was an altar boy. And he very, as a young, you know, as a teenager or something, he very explicitly walked away from the church. And I, I, I doubt he's ever gone back. But you just, you just get this, this sense of Catholic culture that, that he grew up with. And, and, and you know, I think his mother is a, a, a devout Catholic or was. And, and, and it, it, it animates so much of the way he thinks. And, and, you know, maybe one day he'll come back to the church. It would not shock me to find out that, you know, in 10 years, you know, cleaned up Greg Dooley uh, were to do such a thing like that. But at any rate, um, um, I, I think the appeal of him for all the darkness, for all the difficulty, and, you know, this is, this is not everybody's cup of tea, right? I mean, uh, uh, we all have different tastes. But, but if, if, if you enjoy Graham Greene, if you enjoy Flannery O'Connor, I think you might find something in in the lyrics of Greg Dooley. I agree. And Scott, uh, shall we address the final Twilight Singers album before we get back to the main show? Yeah. We, Although I guess this is kind of like a co-show. We're going to have to bill it as both Afghan wigs slash Twilight Singers at this point. There's a layoff here of about five years between uh, Powder Burns and Dynamite Steps. And part of it is because uh, he did an album with we just we don't have time to get into it. But he did an album with Mark Lanigan called uh, uh, or the build themselves as the Gutter Twins, and, as opposed to the Glimmer Twins. Yes. For people, it's a Rolling Stones joke, and it's good. We just don't have time to get into it. So that's part of the reason for this long layoff. Dynamite Steps ends up being the final Twilight Singers album released in in 2011. And after praising the the last album so heavily, you have to imagine that I'm not going to like this one quite as much. It's true. I, I think one of its flaws is that it does not start as strong as most Dooley projects do. The, the, the strength of this album is right in the middle. Four, five, six, essentially. Get Lucky, On the Corner, I really like She Was Stolen, 
Uh, but it starts a little slow and has a song I really don't like in Waves, which I think is a third track on, on Dynamite Steps. Um, but this is uh, essentially, you know, if he sort of mastered the sound that he wanted for Twilight Singers on Potter Steps, it continues here on, or uh, Potter Burns, it, it continues here on Dynamite Steps. Uh, I was reading something where someone said one of the trademarks here is uh, a sudden groove as if someone stepped on the gas, right? So that's totally true, right? You're sort of drifting along, there's a piano in this, and then bam, you're right in the middle of this song's groove. Uh, vocally, I think on Dynamite Steps, I hear, and it could be a little age, but I hear him really pushing his vocals farther than ever before, trying to hit notes that are a little out of his range, trying to go places he hasn't pushed himself vocally before, and especially on she was stolen, which I do think is one of the stronger songs on this record. Uh, on the corner probably is my my favorite, and it's one of the uh, I think it was the single from the record. John just got done talking about his religious background. You have a lot of it in these lyrics here. All rise with me, all ride with me. Come taste the body. Blood uh, blood ties the body to the sun. Some religious. Uh, references, imagery uh, on this song. And it begins, our, again, our second straight uh, episode, Jeff, another spoon uh, similarity. Uh, what does this song begin with? It's not a sample, but it sure does remind you of I Can't Go For That, No Can Do no from can Paul do. and Oates. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> that same sort of rhythm yeah. before it adds in its piano melody and its its, its guitar line. Uh, on the Corner is a great uh, track. is really good too never seen no devil is pretty good i just i mean i don't like it as much as as powder burns but it's not as if they they jump the track so to speak on dynamite steps this is a good album yeah. it's not it's not the best of the twilight singers i love on the corner and i'll just i'll leave it at that i will put in a quick word for the for the for the gutter twins who you guys just jumped right over um <laughs> and just just say this 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 um um, Mark Lanigan, uh, uh, Greg Dooley Project, uh, The Gutter Twins, two songs worth checking out. One is called The Stations. By the way, there's another religious reference for you. Also, Idle Hands. Those are those are a couple of tracks off, off that first album called Saturnalia that just, that just pop. And um, um, they, they do a great cover somewhere of, of Down the Line by, by Jose Gonzalez, and you can find a Greg Dooley solo version of it, but, but that's from that era as well. I think this is okay, and, and I really don't have anything much to add to what you guys have said. On the Corner is the best song. I also really like Get Lucky and She Was Stolen. You guys have already talked about those, so there really isn't too much to add. I guess the most important thing to add is that this is this is when the Twilight Singers gets shuttered, although who knows, maybe he'll reopen them. He'll, <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll open the box back up again, you know, someday it's, down the line. When, it, uh, seems unlikely. Afghan... it seems unlikely because the Afghan Whig's name has the cachet, and also... 
a lot right. of the guys who are playing in Twilight Singers on Dynamite Steps are now in Afghan wigs. And exactly, he kind of grandfathered them back into the band because the band has changed personnel. It didn't change personnel re- initially, though. What happened? In 2012, I can't even remember what the circumstances were. You guys are the experts in the band, but apparently they, they had a reunion tour, kind of like when Pavement had a reunion tour around that time, and it was equally rapturously received. They were still firing on all cylinders. They killed it. McCollum was in the band at that point. They played well, and then they said, hey, well, you know, why don't we just make another album? And McCollum decided to leave. I'm not sure what the circumstances there were. There may have been some sort of creative friction or something like that. Maybe one of you two knows. Uh, but in 2014, the Afghan Whigs finally, after a layoff of, geez, like 14, no more than that, like 16 years, <laughs> are finally back in business. And uh, they're back in business with an album that I honestly think is one of the most disappointing records in their entire career, unfortunately. And that's Due to the Beast. And this is the one where I actually don't have very much positive to say about it. It's not bad or awful. It's just mediocre. And honestly, you know, and this is a shock for, again, you know, I'm very new to them, but they've set a standard with the rest of their music and even with the Twilight Singers stuff that, that has, you know, kind of gotten me to expect something more than mere mediocrity. I like Matamoros. I'll say that. I think Matamoros is a pretty good song. It's also a pretty nifty live version of it. I think it's them playing on Dave Letterman or something like that back in the day. So much of this seems just like, I don't know, like they haven't found their fastball yet. They're still very rusty. So I'm going to defend this album a little bit due to the beast. Uh, Afghan Wings. They're back on the sub pop label. This is this is their reunion. And they've lost one of the most important members of the band, Rick McCollum. I mean, the biggest difference between the first era of the wigs and now this the second era, this reunion era, is, is that he's gone. And you really feel his absence. Uh, the the guitar work on this album and the next one is just just fundamentally different from from that 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 first run of records. Also, Greg Dooley now is is less of an angry young man. You know, we see these these eruptions in in the lyrics here and in the music, but there, there's a kind of mellowing that that comes with age. 
uh, maybe some wisdom that comes with experience. I don't know. You know, the vocals are not as overpowering as as they once were. And again, I think that's that's just a you know a, a casualty of time. I, I do think this album has some some really strong songs. I like Matamoros. I like It Kills, which sounds kind of like a Twilight Singer song, but but it becomes an Afghan wig song. Um, th- th- there's a resignation to it where where he sings, uh, "It kills to watch you love another." You know, the Greg Dooley uh, 1.0 would have would have then you know be, be coming at that guy. Um, <laughs> it, you know, the, the Greg Dooley 2.0, he's 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 almost resigned to that, and that's interesting. Uh, there's a song called Algiers, which I think may have been the first single. It sounds like, first of all, nothing like what the Afghan Wigs have done before, but it, so- it sounds like a song to a to a Clint Eastwood western. Um, it's got this um, Ronette's beat of dum da dum ch, but then then layered with this sort of southwesty. It makes me think of um, you know driving through the desert, or there's a, there's a band from Arizona called Calexico that I like a lot. It, it feels a little bit like a Calexico song. I, I like this. It's like nothing they've done before, but it's uh, it's 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 catchy. And and one other song, one that I really like, and one that I think is is among the best the Afghan Wigs have recorded is called Royal Cream, and it's got this driving beat. It's got this sort of start stop quality to it. Uh, it, it begins. I know you're sleeping with another demon. I know you couldn't care because we're legion. You know, there you go, another biblical reference for you. Um, but by the end of the song, he's 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 singing about love redeemed by love. But but during the whole thing, the song just thrashes. It's it's really powerful. favorite song on on this album for sure moves into i am fire another song i like uh i think this is a good album by the way speaking of biblical references the title of the album has got to be a biblical reference due to the beast (laughs) isn't that the mark of the beast i always assumed is that what that's a reference to i mean i I, guess i don't know if i i I imagine although i i always thought that it was d-u-e and it's not; it's D O. So I'm always very confused about what exactly the the al- this album title uh, means. You're going to do something to the beast, right? Right. I mean, it's Greg Dooley, so it, you might just have sex with the beast. It's, I don't know. You never know. Uh, I am more with Jeff on "Do to the Beast," and I, I didn't exactly know why until I was reading a bit more. This is the very first time in Greg Dooley's writing career in which. Uh, the words were last. He wrote the music and then put the words on after the fact. And so in a lot of places, these lyrics aren't quite as expressive. I think they're not quite as precise as perhaps they would be on past albums. There's a little less to grab onto. And I think you com- you combine that with 
the fact that Rick McCollum's gone, you don't have sort of that to lean back on. It's not to say the guys who are here aren't good. John Skibbick plays, Dave Rosser plays, and especially on the next album, those guitars start sounding like they should again. Uh, but here it's not quite there. Uh, not a bad, fewer among the band's best. Uh, I Am Fire, which John mentioned, is one uh, I'll, I'll say something nice about. Uh, like their drum machine hand claps, real sustained textures throughout. Doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's a less than a three-minute song. Tender vocal performance, a strong melody. It's, uh, it's one of the more unusual tracks on the record. Uh, but people, I, I think here's the bottom line, right? People who were expecting, like, Black Love Part 2, that's not, this is not it, right? This is much more of a, a combination of some of uh, the Afghan Whigs, original run, and certainly taking some of the techniques and styles of Twilight Singers in, 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 sort, of, in sort of combo, uh, but I thought Dude to the Beast was okay. That was okay. It was good to have him back, like Greg Dooley. It did not prepare me for how much yeah. I love the most recent album, which is called In Spades. Isn't this a shocker? Isn't this just a complete shocker? I mean, <clears throat> okay, from my perspective, a guy who's just sort of trawling through the discography bit by bit, you hear the ebbs and the flows. You know, oh, they start off a little bit gawky. They learn their craft. They go up. They ascend to a peak. Oh, it's going back down again. Okay, here's a side project. Suddenly, they understand what they're doing. Mm, okay, now they're losing their thing. Here's the reunion album. The reunion albums are inevitably a disappointment, right? And then, of course, that's what I got with Due to the Beast. I thought it was a very disappointing reunion album. So my my expectations, you know, for In Spades were like six feet under the ground in a coffin <laughs> at that point. This album is i said there were four records from the afghan wigs that compete for the end of the show uh just to be blunt with you their congregation gentlemen uh, black love and this is the fourth it's absolutely stunning how good this record is now obviously the thing that has to be emphasized is that they just don't sound the same without mccollum it's a different sound than what the afghans used to be uh and you know you duly has sort of filled the gap he sort of grouted over that hole in their sound with like strings and keyboards and organs and mellotrons and horns um but what a successful absolutely successful fusion it is this is i mean in the the truest sense of the word a shocking triumph and it it's it's like i love these shows that have a happy ending where we don't just peter around and say, okay, and then there's a couple of bad albums at the end. Hey, don't worry about those. In Spades is an amazing record.
going to be good from the cover. Again, these very iconic uh, album covers. This with the uh, with the devil with horns and the tail standing on the cover in 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 stark black and white imagery. I kind of had the idea that In Spades was going to be an improvement on Due to the Beast. I like this one as well. I guess I don't think it's quite as hot as <laughs> as you do, Jeff. I, but I look, I, I like it. I I, I like it's this so band. Diff- I like- it's I understand because it's so different. Yeah, from it's, the it's, earlier wig sound. But like I I like all sorts of music, and this is <laughs> equally valid to me. And of course, you know, the other thing is they don't have all of those long accumulated years of preconceptions built up. Well, and, and I, so- I, I do think if if you take both these albums, Due to the Beast and In Spades, if I could take my favorite tracks and put together ten or twelve songs from them you have a great afghan wigs album i mean really would be one of my favorites um i, I do like this album so i don't i don't want to sound like i'm dumping on it. i really i do like this album i like there, there's a song called demon in profile which which i think is 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 a, is a reference to that um uh, cover, cover. Yeah. yeah it's a it's a piano driven it songs sounds like it b- might belong on, on on the blackberry bell album there's a song called Toy Automatic that I like. It feels movie soundtrackish. I, I just want. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm watching a movie trailer and I'm sort of sweeping over the landscape mm-hmm. as I as I as I hear that song. Uh, Oriole I like. It's it's quiet without being dull. It's acoustic. It has these weird kind of seancey elements. You know, lighting candles, drawing circles. It even uses the word claromancy, which which I'm not sure um, that word has ever appeared in a rock song before, <laughs> but. Um, which which is a, which is a reference to to, to casting of lots. Um, my favorite song though on this, and, and I, I believe it's one of the best songs the Wigs have have recorded. Certainly, you know, in in definitely in the Wig two era, but but really of all time, it's Light as a Feather, mm-hmm. which is um, may, maybe the best song since their reunion. It's got this kind of menacing guitar that, and that curly bass line is yeah, just the, outstanding. The, the, the yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. Yep, it's at, at the, 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 that bass of the start. It's got this. Then, then this, then this sharp-sounding guitar. I mean, if I if I wanted, you know, what is a guitar lick? You know, define guitar lick. This song has a, a, a guitar lick, um, um, and it just it just really takes flight. Greg Dooley sings, I'm going to be breaking your heart. Like, of, of course you are, Greg Dooley. Because... I've, said, I've said it before. <laughs> I've got to be breaking your heart. Yeah, because yeah. that's what you do. But uh, it's, just, it's a magnificent song, Light light as a Feather. Um, again, I, 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 if you like the Twilight Singers stuff, and clearly I do, In Spades is just a wonderful way of bringing through some of the tricks that Greg Dooley learned while doing Twilight Singers and, and, and again, merging them with that Afghan Wigs uh, original sound. You, you don't quite have the same guitar attack, but it is 
back here more more so I think on uh, than on due to the beast and a big thing we we've, we've mentioned the drummer once at the beginning Steve Earle to say it's not that Steve Earle Patrick Keeler who plays drums here uh, used to be in the Rock and Tours Jack Black's band uh, Patrick Keeler makes a difference he's a heavy hitter he's a powerful drummer and he really is the engine behind a lot of the best songs on in spades uh copernicus just this mean growl of an engine of a song uh which has the, that heavy riff and then there's big drums from patrick keeler uh john mentioned demon in profile which is fantastic the one I want to sell you hard on is Arabian Heights, which is uh, the song after the operatic or the uh, the cinematic scene setter, which is Birdland, which is a fun song. Uh, I'll be talking about that one. Uh, but Arabian Nights, man, do I love Arabian Nights or Arabian Heights, I should say. This is the one part where maybe you, you say they're they're trying to sort of recreate that McCollum sound, or at least it's approximated through the use of guitars. Again, Dave Rosser, who sadly... Uh, died of colon cancer just after the completion of the album, I believe. He was not on the tour with them, but uh, but played on a, on a good deal of In Spades. John Skibbick plays guitar. Just the thick, thump, huge beat. Dooley is almost way up into his falsetto in, in, in the verses before he comes charging hard during the choruses. Don't you come when they call for me. Uh, tremendous performance. And the way that the last minute and a half or so uh, it's not a fade out like minute and a half but uh, the instrumental the last minute and a half or so with those guitars dueling and almost the electronic sound they did a little did a Arabian Heights just kills me great track don't you come when they call down sound of Arabian Heights. And then it, it ends with a classic Dooley song, too, I think, Into the Floor, uh, one of his classic closing songs to an album. Again, it, it sort of takes what we've, what, we've, what we've experienced through the course of In Spades and tries to sum it up. There's a maelstrom of guitars on this one. Uh, is it late or is it yet to come? Will it wait or burn into the sun? Into the Floor is one of those classic Dooley album closers. Uh, as much as I want to sell you hard on powder burns, and, and clearly I, I did want to do that, it'd be a mistake to sleep on in spades. It's fantastic. Well, I mean, I, I know that, you know, as much as John is bemused by my my absolute love for this album, it's going to be very difficult for me not to put it in my top two at the end of the show. And I think I might not 
but I just want people to understand what a near-run thing this truly is. It's it's such a different album than their earlier stuff, and in such a wonderful way. It's a it's a, it's an earned evolution. And we've talked a lot during the show about how all these Afghan Wigs albums have really great sort of scene setter tracks. You know, have 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 songs that sort of like you know bring you into the album, and then boom, then something hits. And I think they've never had a better one than Birdland. <laughs> which has no drums. It's just like weird squawks of keyboard. Mellotron, maybe, I guess. I'm not sure what it is. And strings. Harmonium. Kind of, what did you say? Harmonium? Yeah. Okay, well, it puts me in the mind of birds going like, wah, wah, wah. and then Dooley's voice is just absolutely roasted and cracked. I mean, the age is showing. It's like tires that have been worn bald. But it works so well in the context of that song, which again is just, just you know, it's still and it's quiet and it doesn't do, doesn't like um, raise its voice at all. And then of course it goes straight into Arabian Heights, which is fantastic. <laughs> was a child, an open letter, to be read aloud to the throne, caught in a spell of stormy weather, mnemonic lines to the fore. That's kept us together I look to the sky And it's gone Save one for me And I'll never forget you Gosh, you guys have said so much about it already that I'm not going to bother. But I think if I'm going to have to pick one song from this record that might make my top five at the end, it is Toy Automatic, which I like the way that John described it. He said it sounded like you know you're soaring over the uh, you know the landscape in a movie trailer. I, I, I see that you know sort of like you know I think of uh, if it's any movie, if it's Afghan Wigs, it's probably got to be The Shining, right? Um, and and like the way that the, the, you, you see those early scenes where they're like heading towards the Overlook Hotel. I get that from Toy Automatic, but it is such a cinematic sound to it, which again is, again, an achievement of, of something that Dooley has always been going for. Remember we said, you know, this, is, you know, this film was, or this, this uh, record was shot on location at... He's always had that in mind, and he achieves that cinematic sense with that song. Thank you. 
everything here is good. There isn't one bad song. The spell, I think, is great. I listen to the spell, and I think the opening hooks you right immediately, and I just think, you know, and that's how you use an electric keyboard, buddy. <laughs> that is how you get someone into it. And, Scott, you mentioned Into the Floor. I think the one that comes before it is almost as good. I Got Lost. You've got Petra Hayden there in the backing vocals again. It is a beautiful song that, again, throws so many things into a stew and mixes them perfectly together. Uh, this is a record that I can't imagine. See, I guess I can't imagine because, you know, we have you guys – John especially was a longtime Afghan Wigs fan. He wasn't as shocked by this as I was, and he wasn't maybe as taken by it as I was. But for me, it was just going through this all sequentially. And was, as I said right at the start of the discussion of this record, expecting a huge letdown and just something we'd have to gracefully gloss over. <laughs> no, this, this makes me really excited for whatever the next record is going to be. By the way, have you confirmed that they actually have like one that they're working on? Is something coming out or... Do you know that for a fact, well, do, or are we just assuming? Dooley had released a solo album just before the pandemic hit uh, and was supposed to tour it, and of course those things didn't happen. Uh, and I thought I had read that either they were working on material for a new Afghan Wings album or something was, was, was essentially you know in the can. Did, do, Dooley had an album last year, a solo album called Random Desire, and it's good. I, I, we don't need to do a deep dive on it. There's a song called Pantomima that I, I rather like from it. And there, there was another earlier solo, solo album called, called um, Amber, uh, Amber Lights. Um, uh, so he's done that, but I, I, don't, I don't know the status of, of an Afghan Wigs project. And I can't, I'm trying to scroll through very quickly. I don't see any note of it, but I thought I had read somewhere that there was, there was some Afghan Wigs music they were working on. I'll, I'll say one more thing about in spades there's a kind of coda to our conversation about that it came out in may of 2017 and in july of that year the afghan wigs put out a single which is not on any album called you want love which is a cover of a song by a call by a band called the pleasure club and it, it uh, the, the the singer the, the the greg dooley of the pleasure club is a guy called james hall and he actually performs uh, on on the Wigs version of of You Want Love, and I'll say one more thing about James Hall before before I make my Afghan Wigs point. Um, James Hall was in a band thirty years ago called Marry My Hope, which is excellent. They put out one terrific album, and it's impossible to find. I I have a CD of it, thankfully. Uh, if you ever see Marry My Hope, grab it and listen. It's a great rock album from thirty years ago. But anyway, this 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 song You Want Love was put out as a, as, a, as a tribute to Dave Rosser, this guitar player who had, had stepped into the vacuum left by, uh, uh, partly by uh, uh, Rick McCollum, and, and he died from uh, colon cancer. Um, Rosser played with, with the Twilight Singers, the Gutter Twins, also Afghan Wigs. And, and the funny thing is um, that, 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 that a friend of mine reminded me of is that when, when, when Scott and I and, and our friend went to see the Afghan Wigs mm -hmm. on the In Spades tour, they, they performed this cover. But at the start of it, uh, Greg Dooley said, you know, this is a tribute to Dave Rosser. You know, it was a kind of a heartfelt, um, you know, he, wa he wanted to remember his, his friend and fellow musician. But he, but he basically said, everybody go get a colonoscopy checkup. <laughs> 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 and and I, thought, I, thought, I thought, you know, Greg Dooley 
never would have said that. <laughs> you know, well, tw- this, this, this is not how old everyone's getting. You're like, you know, when, the, when the rocker from the stage says, you know, go get your prostate. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's like, you know, first of all, he's right. Everybody go get your colonoscopy checkup. But but it was it was also, you know, he's 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 seen a lot of life now and um and he has some wisdom and he's sharing it with us. And uh anyway, that was that was just a funny unexpected moment and uh, uh um it's 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 uh you know the the, the last afghan wigs product right. that i i think i know of uh, on that tour too and in, in during that show they they would set up his 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 rig every night dave rosser set up his amps set up his guitar and have it on stage alongside the rest of the band uh Julie said you know just in case he wants to come down and play <laughs> it was all ready for him See, oh, he, he, he really is a nice now. guy yeah. deep down inside that's, yeah, that's, that's 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 a point of what we've been talking about for two and a half hours right greg Dooley, good guy nice guy <laughs> someone you want yeah, your daughter no, no, to no date creep vibes at all nothing like that <laughs> uh, so i guess that's where we stand scott yes sir that is our look at the afghan wigs and the twilight singers uh, we reach the point of the show where each of your esteemed hosts gives you two albums you should own and five songs you should hear from our chosen band, Afghan Wigs, Twilight Singers, John Miller, director of the Dial Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, national correspondent for National Review. You have the floor first for your two albums and your five songs. Well, two albums, the first has to be Congregation. It's the album that, that introduced me to the Afghan Wigs. Uh, I, I love it. It's a great album. There's also a lot of nostalgia tied up with that one. Uh, and then also Black Love. I think it's, it's the best thing they did. And uh, we skip over Gentlemen, unfortunately, but, uh, but, but these are the two, Congregation and Black Love, I'd recommend. Then the five songs, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with retarded off of uh, up in it off that that real first album followed by conjure me off of congregation debonair off gentlemen which was maybe their most popular song and and i like i i i i love that song i'll i'll listen to that anytime all day number 4 going to town from uh from black love uh, a great kind of Stevie Wonderish uh, uh, rock and roll jam. Get your stroll on. You get your stroll on, baby. <laughs> um, um, and then for my fifth, I was I was a little conflicted about this. I thought, you know, do do I grab a track from from the reunion wigs? You know, Royal Cream or Light as a Feather. Those would be the those would be the ones I'm looking at. But I'm gonna I'm gonna, instead I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this 1990s era of the wigs and say check out the live cover version of my world is empty without you and i hear a symphony their 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 tribute to motown it's it's a wonderful song you know they just nail it live and it really reminds us of of what a great cover band they are and how they use covers both as opportunities for their own creative expression but also to to pay tribute to, to, to as, as an homage to the to their influences, and so uh, so I'll, number five, my world is empty without you, and I hear a symphony live from 1994. I think you find it on um, you can find it in a few places. I think on Spotify, it's on the uh, Black Love Extended Anniversary version, uh, but that's where you check out that one. I, mean, I, I, if, I found it's what jail is like is where I have it. So yeah, it's on it's on that EP, and then it's on, it's also on the Black Love extended, you know, super mm-hmm. super duper version. All right, M- much like uh, Spoon. I mean, how do you pick 
from such a consistent catalog and how do you nail down to, to five songs? Well, I'll do my best. Uh, the two albums I think you need to own from uh, this career uh, is Gentlemen, John Left It Off, happy to pick it up. Uh, I think that's an incredible document start to finish musically, lyrically uh, of that era. And you got to know that I'm also going to recommend that you got to have Powder Burns, which I think, again, is the best thing that Greg Dooley's done in his career. Song-wise, from Gentlemen, take the title track. Um, that's just a fantastic song. Uh, I will take uh, Faded, also, from uh, Black Love. And then I, I'm going to move to the Twilight Singers era and tell you, you got to hear Teenage Wristband from Blackberry Bell. That's the one that turned me back onto what Greg Dooley was doing in Twilight Singers. I'm giving you two from Powder Burns. You can't escape this. Uh, Candy Cane Crawl, the first song he wrote when he was sober. Uh, and Powder Burns, maybe the last song that he wrote about in the throes of addiction and how much he wanted that but didn't perhaps think he could have it anymore. And uh, DJ's Choice, uh, I mean, I, I gotta have three and three, right? I have to. Uh, Arabian Heights from the reunion from uh, from In Spades. Boy, I dig that track. So uh, there are my, my songs. Jeff, over to you. Top two. It's so hard to choose for the reasons that we've just discussed because you could, you could, they have such a consistent output. And then, of course, there are the Twilight Singers as well. But I think I'm going to go with Congregation and Gentlemen. Gentlemen is sort of like their sort of acknowledged greatest, and I think it earns that. But then I really want Congregation to be in there as well because it's it's them at a slightly earlier stage, and it's a different look at the Afghan Awakes. It's hard to believe how young they were at this time. It was <laughs> 1992 when that came out. It's such an early view of the Wigs before they sort of had turned fully into this sort of achingly dark and weird soul rock indie act. And I guess, by the way, since I, you know, the Twilight Singers did end up becoming such an important part of the show, Powder Burns is definitely the one you get from them. As my top five, um, I'll go with In My Town from Up In It, which I think is a really underrated song on their debut album before they were really fully formed. I'm going to agree with John and say if I have to pick one song from Congregation, it's Conjure Me. I'm going to be a little odd, and say that my favorite song from Gentlemen is actually the purely instrumental track that ends it, Brother Woodrow. Um, if I had to pick one from Black Love, oh, that is so hard. I guess I'll say Bulletproof, uh, which is just a wonderful sort of semi-prog epic. And then uh, there are so many potential songs I could pick from uh, In Spades, from the reunion era, but I'll go with Toy Automatic, which I think is just wonderfully cinematic. And since, again, hey, if, if Scott gets to, you know, get Express Host prerogative, I will too, and I will end with Faded, which, as I said, you know, at the, you know, during the show, and like, you could call it self-indulgent at eight minutes long if it weren't. It's just so achingly, perfectly beautiful.
And there is the look at the uh, career and music of Afghan wigs and the Twilight Singers. Our thanks to our guest, John J. Miller, director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, national correspondent for National Review. Check out his other podcast for NR, The Great Books and The Bookmonger, and find him on Twitter at Hey Miller. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. And being the rare in-studio Political Beats guest. Very nice. One of two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There might be more, but Brad, one of Brad two right Berzer. Brad Berzer also doing in-studio right. appearances, yes. Both both two-time guests, yes. in fact. Uh, Jeff, at EsotericCD on Twitter. We've got, uh, we've got one more next that might be uh, an introduction for a number of listeners. And then we, uh, we've got Including one that... Including me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then one that'll be relatively new to me this is these are the joys of planning in advance you can sort of set these things up scott i gotta tell you start studying yeah i, I, I know you've got I you've know. got your work cut don't 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 procrastinate on this one <laughs> you'll regret it you've got literally like two weeks worth of just in terms of hours two weeks worth of material to get through yeah well i'll, I'll get to it uh <laughs> i'm scott bertram find me on twitter at scott bertram again we invite you to check out our patreon help us and support us there patreon.com slash political beats help the show stay ad free support our efforts here entry level for support and voting privileges mid-level for early access to new shows and higher audio quality as well and then the upper level for exclusive content once a month remastered episodes spotify playlists with our end of show choices and more patreon.com slash political beats and we come to the part of the episode where we say thank you to some of our patreon supporters thank you brian mumbert eric martins don walheim jim deadman adam anderson gregory johnston perry young miles kelly barton vaughn david propson stephen carl and sean bible thank you so much for supporting our work over at patreon.com subscribe to our feed for new episodes apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher tune in or go right to nationalreview.com find political beats and the great books and the book longer you can find us on facebook join the conversation on twitter at political underscore beats this has been a presentation of national review this is Political Beats.